for the legal profession. Good afternoon, Daniel. How are yeah, you doing? Hey, Jason. Hey, how are you doing? Great. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm getting back into the rhythm. I basically took last week and I was on the road trying to cover the court case in Coots. Well, not in Coots, uh, about to Coots. It was in Lethbridge. Um, but yeah, I'm back. I'm back into my trailer. I feel like I'm getting back into the groove again. And I, thank I like you very much trailer. for I like the trailer. Have you ever given a, have you done a tour of it when you're in some of your shows before? Not yet, but I can give you a quick one if you like. Sure. Uh, this I'm is like my family family corner here. So this is a doll that my wife got that looks like me. There's a painting behind for my son. There's a picture of my son. So I keep nice. my family near. Uh the Kootsmen, I picked this up on the way. The Coots guys as well, innocent until proven guilty. Over here I have my art marquee. I thought it'd be fancy. I found that at Walmart. Nice. I have my diploma, my paralegal diploma. Justice has been turned upside down for now. So wow. I put that there. Yeah. And then on the top, I just have some books. I got my airplane. I used to have an airplane right there. Oh, you had an airplane. Pilot. Wow. Good for you. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. 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 I, I just did some silly things after uh, mid midlife crisis, I guess. I became a paralegal and I became a pilot and a project manager professional all in like three years. Um, wow. When I got a bunch of things done. And this is my bears and my son, and then just some knickknacks. But that's my, uh, cool. and right now the Canadian flag is the correct way up, but it might get flipped upside down soon uh, because I'm starting to get uh, a lot of interviews with people who are getting me to understand a little bit more how things are working. And some of it's good, you know, we can work with it and fix things. And some of it is scary. Don't know how we got that way. Um, but anyways, Daniel, uh, thanks. There's my tour. I'm going to clip that and, and put it out there. You, Very good. Uh, very good. Then you, I can take a take a look at your background. So you've got um, tiles, lights, uh, <laughs> and my computer and uh, earphones. Are you in your office? Much. I am. And uh, where are you located? Uh, so I yeah I have a I have a few locations. This uh, right now I'm located at uh, Dundas and four uh, four twenty seven. Um, okay. I basically, so, so I practice. So lion advocacy is my the Topico. The Topico. Very good. Yeah. You know the hood. Oh, I used to live in the GTA. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, um, I'm a bit of a Canadian mutt. I've been all over this country. I, I know quite a bit. But yeah, Tobacco, so the, four, the 427 coming down to the Gardner downtown. Uh, yep. I would drive that a lot from Brampton. Um, that's right, yeah. And so, um, you know, my, my advocacy stuff is really, uh, it came to light because of what was what I was kind of getting caught in the crossfires of during my regular solicitor work, right? And so I realized I had to take a different kind of tactic in communicating what I was seeing and, and what the issues were. Um, so, um, so that advocacy work came during the mandate stuff or was so, it? Yeah. Or? It started primarily during uh, around February, 2022 when, um, when basically when... I thought everything was going to end and it just got worse and worse. And so, um, I reached out to law times, law times interviewed me a couple of times for a couple articles. Uh, and then that wasn't enough because people were still not changing. And so, um, you know, I had to uh, basically create my own media platform of sorts just to get the message out that uh, that what I'm seeing is not normal and that there's uh, we got a problem. Houston, we have a problem. So, <laughs> Ottawa, we have a problem. <laughs> for 15 months and we still have problems. I st we still yep. got the problems and I, I just I cannot for the life of me. I don't get it. So here we are. Well, we're going to jump into that. We're going to jump into whether or not you're being red pilled or black pilled when it comes to advocacy and stuff like that as well. So we'll jump into that in a bit. Okay. But let's rewind a bit. So we know you have one brother. We've seen him before. Uh, any other siblings? Uh, I do. We've got. There's five of us in, in total. Uh, four boys, one girl. 
So all with the letter D names. All of us are lawyers, or all of us start. All of us went into law school, and then four of us uh, got law degrees, and then one of us didn't. Went into another thing. Was your family like your parents? Were they into law? Yeah, my 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 dad was into law, and uh, so there's a tradition. And then before that, I'm not really sure. Before that, no. So my dad was a first lawyer, I guess, uh, of uh, in recent vintage. But what um, is dinner like with you guys when there's an argument? Well, you know, Viva was pretty. uh, He was the force. He was the force to reckon with. So, and and I called it early on. By the way, I called him like when he was 12 or 13. I knew his big mouth was going to get him, uh, you know, either into trouble or to get him to much success. So. Um, I'm glad it worked and, out well. And which him. number is so he fun. and you? So who's he's, who's uh, the oldest? He's fifth out of the hatch. I'm fourth out of the hatch. And then oh wow, um, so the two youngest ones. The two youngest. So that's it. And then, so the other three, one of them's not a lawyer. The other two are lawyers, uh, and they're all in the GTA area, no, or no, are they, they all spread over? They were all we're all in different areas of the of the world. We got uh, yeah, some two two in the states, and then three of us, and then uh, actually no, now that Viva Fry Viva's in the states too. So you call him Visa Viva, even though he's <laughs> on on the yeah, on on when I'm uh, you know front facing the public, I call him Viva. That's kind of neat. He's Dave. Do you know where that name came from, Viva? I think it was uh, I think David. Maybe he took the VI from David. I, I don't actually know the full. Viva. Someone in my chat, I, I'm now that you said that, I'm starting to ring a bell that he told that story at least a couple of times on how he got there. Right. I know the fry is just fry height. You take right. off the height. Yeah, because right. he's short, right? For the height, I guess that's it. <laughs> that's right to cover for the. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you guys grew up, you became lawyers. And I uh, kind of want to get into a little bit more of why you decided. Was it inspiration from your dad, the, your older brothers and sisters were doing it, or you just actually had a, a taste for it uh, early? The career in law? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it just kind of happens. You you, you kind of like the discussions. You like the legal analysis. You like legal thinking. Um, and then over time, it just kind of builds on you. And, it, you know, you just kind of grow into it. So um, it was never there was never really a social warrior component to my practice. It was just kind of like the fun of the fun of the practice. Right. But, um, you know, um, a lot of folks in law school, they they have big um, I did, you know, did a lot of pro bono stuff in law school. Uh, landlord tenant primarily but um but you kind of just the appeal of law for most people going to especially like corporate commercial which is what i'm in is just kind of the fun of the deals and being involved Mm -hmm. in some cool transactions yeah i was going to ask you that so when you're going through law school you did some administrative stuff so uh landlord tenant and were you drawn in law school to any particular one like a lot of people like to get into like criminal or they wanted to get into immigration like were you drawn to anything in particular during law school um, that's a good question. I liked the, uh, I liked, um, mediation, arbitration. I like that stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, that was always cool. Um, and I did the, the joint business law degree. So I ended up kind of doing, I ended up getting drawn into more of the, I guess the, uh, the, also the managing the family business, I think was one of the, or the, you know, tra- uh, business transitions, uh, that kind of stuff interested me. Um, but no, I was pretty much a, uh, a generalist in law school. I did start, though, in law school. The uh, you know, I guess that was the beginning of my publication career or my media career. Was I, I started an interfaculty newsletter called uh, Nexus. And that was oh, a, cool. where I got people to write from the law school and from the business school about issues facing you know, on campus. Um, and that was kind of fun. That was my intro into the world of publishing. And did you like it? Were you a spin doctor or were you just straight to the facts? Was it dry? I, was it entertaining? It was, it was fun. We, we can, I, I, I t- approached it with a bit of a, a humor uh, point of view. Um, so, and to make it very entertaining for 
because at the end of the day, you know, students wanted to know your audience. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Right. And the goal was to just to sell advertising. So, you know, I ended up um, soliciting ads from some of the law firms in London, Ontario. Um, it was a blast. And then the back page was like, you know, funny Q and A's, uh, you know, dear, uh, what was it? I forget. We had basically like a write in column. So um, it wasn't too heavy on the legals, but it was like, it was fun. It was entertaining and uh, got some mileage. So that was a lot of fun. So you kind of got a little nibble of the uh, journalist bug early. So you actually exactly. enjoyed some of that a little bit. And, yeah. and I bet you never thought you would be getting into that later in life or you kind of wanted or you liked it. You know, from 2000, so I got called to the bar in 2005 and just avoiding social media as much as possible up until 20, 2020 or well, no, 2022. Like I just, you know, just avoid it, avoid interacting with the public as much as possible as a lawyer. Cause it wasn't really just not worth it. Um, and um, I don't know if I'm going full circle on that. Maybe now I'm getting to the point where, ah, well, what's the, what's the point of it all? But uh, honestly, it felt like uh, a crisis that had to be uh, that I felt more lawyers need to speak out on what's been going on. So, um, and, you know. and as you started to do your career for a bit, was there any areas of law that you said, oh, I don't like that, like estate planning or family or anything like that? Um, uh, yeah, the estate plan, the um, heavy estate stuff uh, I was avoiding, uh, I would avoid. Um, and yeah, yeah also those, are family. those are tough. Those are tough. And, and that's when I usually ask the questions, usually the answer, because there's, you're dealing with family, tearing things apart. Someone dies. Now people hate each other. Like it gets messy. Um, that's right. That's <laughs> right. And, you know, um, it's, it's, uh, it becomes all consuming. I think for unless, you know, you, you're, you get to a certain level, I think in those areas. Right. Yeah. It's, some people have a calling for that. Like your mediation, those would be good techniques for there, but some people have a calling for that. Like they can really connect well, and it's not for everybody. That's why there's so many areas of law that you can actually really look at. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I um, got, uh, you know, I started my career in a commercial leasing uh, boutique, which is pretty much as boring as you could probably imagine, right? All they do is commercial leasing. Um, I know one more boring. What? Trademark. Trademark law. I, I disagree. Oh. Disagree. Trademark is cool, man. Oh, uh, yeah. You can get some cool stories. In well, for the most part, it's kind of boring. But there are some cool trademark stories. Like, like I would say patents are fun. Patents are fun. Uh, copyright and trademark, though, oh, the logo and the name. Oh, and the font yeah, yeah. And... For getting into, no, but... I, I'm talking more like, you know, if there's disputes over who had who was using the trademark first. Oh, and... sure. That litigation on trademarks. Yeah, yeah. Right. Litigation in general could be fun. Like you take two subjects, throw it together, litigate it. It could be fun. But I can't imagine coming home to the wife saying, oh, I got the letter T trademark. <laughs> the um... color, or the color blue, the bell blue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And oh no, favorite. I was too close to another color, and that's your highlight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that was the one where I, I started looking into. I'm like, ah. but patent law was kind of neat because you'd work with engineers and you're coming up with new ideas and you're working on that kind of stuff. Uh, have you looked at any of that? Pat patents are cool. No, I, I uh, there's lawyers that I work with. If the, if a patent issue ever comes up, that's like you know you really got to know your stuff for that. Um, so no, I, my, my, I started off in commercial leasing um, and then that involved me in some corporate commercial litigation uh, in some franchising. And then I hung my shingle up pretty early and focused a lot on franchising and corporate, um, corporate work. So, you know, forming companies um, and then getting involved in some disputes and some litigation um, and then, you know, became a corporate commercial specialist, you know, you know, nothing, nothing to do with vaccines or human rights or any of this stuff. 
um, except in the context of, you know, as, as it would come up in the context of small business, small and medium-sized businesses. Would but you by chance know Jordan what? Dolgan? In, would you know oh, Jordan yeah, sure. Dolgan? Yeah, he's yeah. a good friend of mine. Uh, he's one of my mentors when I was coming up. Yeah, he okay. was my corporate lawyer when I was doing my stuff out in Ontario. He's a good guy. He's a good he's, guy. Mm -hmm. He knows his stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you're doing corporate stuff. I'm like, okay. Uh, and there's another one, Ashton or Ash. Oof, I'll look him up. Uh, he's another one that Jordan put me in contact with, which is another good guy. Ashton. Anyways, okay. if it's not ringing the bell for you right now, maybe you don't know him. No, but yeah, Jordan Dolgan's my... awesome. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good guy. Small world. I'm going to have to text him after and say, hey, look, I just met your buddy, Daniel. Um, it's a small world, well, uh, but you know, you're doing all the corporate I, stuff. Cor corporate's nice because because you're not always antagonistic with other lawyers, right? So mm -hmm. it's it's nice to um, not that you know, not that you're necessarily antagonistic with you know in litigation, but you're you're always friends, right? Friends in court, my friend, my honorable friend. Yeah, yeah, and right? they use that in Alberta too. Yeah, honorable friend. And uh, that was one thing I liked about Jordan because that's what I liked about his demeanor. He wasn't a bulldog. He wasn't trying to go after people. Right. And I think those are the better type of lawyers. So the ones that are sweet and nice to your face and really looking to get you know things advanced. And when you're not so defensive against them, you actually have your guard down a bit more. Um, so I find that it's a little bit more effective to work that way. Interesting fact, by the way, the word solicitor. I bet your viewers don't know the etymology of this word. This fascinating word. Neither does this guy. Please Solicit, teach us. Okay. A solicitor, a lawyer, solicitor, it comes from the, it's two words, it's, it's sol, S-O-L, which means to, to make whole, okay? And licit, or excite, means to, to get into motion. So I think the word comes from this idea, either you're breaking or you're putting it together, I forget which. But the idea is that the solicitor is there to, to break and rebuild and to put things, to, to get things moving. So important to remember that that's the job of the solicitor is to actually get things moving. That's and that's a good way to look at it. First, you, you, you have the argument, then you got to tear down the argument, get to the material, bring it back up and have a solution. Exactly. So I, I guess, yeah, I guess I can see how that worked out. Because that is what's taught to us, right? We got to take the arguments and try to take out the hearsay and all the other stuff and get that to the meat and potatoes, which is usually a lot less than you started with. Um, and then find solutions, fill in holes, investigate, discover, put it together and then present. Basically, that's what they taught us. Right. Well, well, but but that's right. That that. But there's also the barrister, which is different. The barrister is is in the UK. They definitely have both terms, right? The UK, you actually labeled both terms. So, what is the difference between the barrister? Um, well, now they've merged in Ontario, but the uh, the role of the, ba the the barrister comes from the word bar, which is basically the separation between the lawyer and the judge. And so, you're almost overcoming an obstacle, which is to get your version, you know, you're, you're trying to convince the bar, you're, you know, so um, there it's the more litigators sir. It's more, yeah, it more comes from the idea of, I think, overcoming some type of obstacle in, you know, in getting what you want, <laughs> so which is the essence of, you know, the uh, litigation. Right. So the first one is to pass the bar, which is a term used to actually pass the test. Mm -hmm. And the next one is to continuously do that, which is the bar in the court as well. So the barrister would, sp would spend a lot of time in court, whereas a solicitor maybe spend more time out of court. Exactly. Okay. I was wondering, yeah, because the UK, they had that. Like here we say lawyers or advocates, um, but they, they had them separated. And, and there, yeah, it's, it's to this day still, right? Like I think uh, mm. I was working with uh, a, a specifically a barrister group in, uh, in the UK and that, that's all they do. Like they just, they're just in court and mm. they have, it's a really weird arrangement there. It's like 
they're almost like on standby, sitting by the course, just waiting for, a, you know, any kind of anyone to just come up to them and take their case so that they could take the case to the, to the, to the court. So it's interesting. To chomp in at the bit to practice, right? You want to get in there. That's right. That's right. But that's all good. So you were on the commercial side of things, which meant you weren't dealing with liberty in life. Like you, nobody's going to jail if you make a mistake, that kind of stuff. However, uh, mistakes are still not encouraged, um, especially with corporate. And you also said you were doing um, franchises. So you were doing mm -hmm. some franchise stuff too. Um, that's an interesting one. So let me just ask you there because I've never really delved into that. And I think Jordan does. I think Jordan may do some of that. I'm not sure. Um, how do you know when the company's ready to be franchised? And how do you tell somebody who comes too early that they came too early? <laughs> uh, putting me on the spot there. Do they have a no, no, we can take if they can afford to uh, pay the legals and they're ready to franchise? Um, it, no, the, the reality is that they have to have a system that can sell. Like you're not going to, you discourage someone from just, you know, um, franchising. For the sake of franchising. They have a track record. They want, you have to have a track record. So, mm -hmm. And again, you know, me and my etymology, I like, I like etymology. The idea behind franchising is, is to free up capital so that the, 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 word, the person expanding, the company that's expanding, doesn't want to tie up its own capital in the expansion. So the idea behind franchising is that really you're, you're, you're allowing others to partner in your expansion by using their capital. So really, you know, depending on the business and depending on where business is in the life cycle, um, you know, it, any, any business can be ready to franchise. It just depends on, uh, I think, you know, the leadership. So, and, you know, and the, and the business model. Okay. But, um, so yeah. you can easily analyze that when they come in, like if they don't have something reproducible, you're like, well, let's first start with that. Like you have one store, but how are you going to make a second one and then have someone else run it? So some sort of plan. Right. And, and oftentimes, you know, they have, there's a lot of franchise consultants out there in the space now. So they're, they're better able to, to even in, you know, up and coming franchises to really uh, put the package together. Oh, uh, so there's a consultant level now that will bring it up to the legal level oh, yeah. when ready? They're out there, they're okay. getting, they find the space, they find the franchisees. Um, so th they come to the table already, you know, well prepared. And then the lawyer's job is to really just put together the risk disclosure package, right? Um, very cool. Are there any ones that you can mention that you've worked um, on? Like, did no, you create the Tim Hortons franchise? <laughs> no, but my one of my colleagues actually was uh, back in the day was one of the uh, lawyers for the Tim Hortons. Um, Look at that small world. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I uh, now I do a lot of representation also for for franchisees, just helping them understand what they're what they're signing. Um, okay. You know. Do you get into disputes? So, for example, Tim Hortons, there was some franchisee disputes at some point. The, they were unhappy, but the company sold. There were some changes. There were some things that happened. So would you have, rep I'm not saying if you did, but would you have represented in that uh, kind of case? Uh, I, I probably, for something of that side, because that was a significant litigation, for, for with the stuff I work on is, is usually smaller scale, um, you know, rent, rent disputes with the franchise uh, franchisor, um, other operational issues of the franchise. Sometimes you just, you know, the... Um, franchisee with that's making the most noise sometimes gets the grease so you have to know mm. how to push some buttons to get um, the franchise or to dance sometimes um, and you know I like I like to use a common sense approach because yeah litigation can kind of sink two ships sometimes yeah so you have to think sometimes it take not to say that litigation you, you know uh, should, should always be this you know discouraged but uh, oftentimes it's better to find a uh, you know a sensible approach to dispute resolution.
Yeah, and I kind of learned that it was close to 90% of everything settled. It doesn't even make it into court. Is that the right. kind of same numbers for you as well? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just that 10% where it just we need to have somebody else let them know. you got to be ready to go. But you always have to be ready yeah. to go. So that's why the budget for litigation, you have to be able to really sink a lot into it. Follow through. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So it's, it's nice when those settlements are done because you also get retainer back and other things because you're all done. And uh, right. you have the same philosophy that, you know, both sides will be a little unhappy. That's a good settlement. That's right. That's usually the way they, they say it, right? Yeah, yeah. And But in your experience, that's where you found it too? Um, Jeff, no, my clients are always happier than the other side. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that was oh. a perspective uh, situation. From your perspective, absolutely. Right, right, right. Exactly. Subjective. Yeah. Subjective. There you go, too. Um, are you planning to do other things do you want to have your own firm or do you have your own firm or are you yeah so now i operate that? so i operate through my own professional corporate and i and i work in association with uh with two firms um one's a um and i'm not here to promote any myself or either of them, no but, please but, do i would like you to yeah, yeah, I, don't really, I, 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 I you know I, I get on to when i talk advocacy uh the line advocacy I, try, I usually stick to the advocacy stuff but but yeah sure. I, so i i um i do um i, I operate basically um, as a, you know, as counsel and as a, um, uh, through my professional corporation, um, handling all kinds of, you know, corporate, as a corporate commercial specialist. So uh, anything that comes up, um, you know, up to it, including a bit of litigation. So I work with other litigators as well, if things really um, get dicey. Cool. And the reason why I was asking that is because I wanted to find out if you were an employer or an employee or a partner, like how your setup was, because the next part of this mandate question, it will, will oh. be reflected on, on what you do. So are you, do you have partners or are you self-employed? Uh, so, yeah, most. So I operate through a professional corporation independently. So not a partner, um, not an employee. Sole employee? Not, uh, yeah, I'm basically a sole employee of my professional corp. That's the way most lawyers cool. are set up in right Right. So that will actually give you a unique perspective on what happened to mandates because you didn't have an employer telling you and you didn't have to tell someone else to do it. You had to make your own decisions and stuff on whether or not you were going to do mandates. Um, that's a good question. Um, the um, I think lawyers. So, you know, I'll, I'll leave my personal situation, uh, my situation aside. Um, generally, lawyers working in a firm, even if they're operating independently, whether as employees, independent contractors or whatever, um, they would be subject to the policies of the firm, mm -hmm. uh, even if they're uh, trade contract, whatever they are like. So um, I, I don't know generally what, um, I don't actually know what law firms, I don't think they were strict with um, having everyone uh, get vaccinated for the most part. I think everyone is, uh, most lawyers were working remotely, could work remotely, so it didn't really come up so much. I think there was a push generally on Bay Street to get, you know what I mean, um, everyone vaccinated. But I don't, I don't recall hearing so much about it. You know, by this date or you're done, um, like there was right. in so many of the uh, other industries. And and that could be because the law society itself didn't take a position, correct? Um, I didn't think so either. However, uh, mm -hmm. I, I had a rude awakening when um, I learned that the loss of the great library, the loss uh, didn't allow unvaccinated people into the library. Ooh. That would, that, so that shook research. my world. And, and I, and I couldn't understand, I couldn't understand the logic or, or who was giving that guidance. Was there an expert? Was there um, right. And mm. um, so, so the law society did in the end kind of have a position on this. 
and uh, I was a bit, uh, you know, surprised by it. And disappointed? Uh, disappointed to the point where I, um, I did try to discuss it. I did, I did raise it with the Law Society. I even brought a motion um, at oh, the wow. annual general meeting. Uh, actually, I might publish that. There, there was an article published on Law 360. And, and it doesn't even matter if you vaccinated or not. Like, you just, you thought that that was a bad policy to have. Yeah, like independent of my you know personal vaccination status, you know it was this policy went as far as August 2022, when uh, well beyond what was you know in the public domain about transmission. Like, so I, I I kind of you know understand people's anxiety if 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 they think everyone's a super spreader and you know if if they think an unvaccinated person is filled with COVID and gonna immediately breathe on someone. And well, be then, careful for YouTube at this point. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, because we're getting pretty close to uh, yeah, I got uh, countering WHO there. Yeah, sorry about that because I'm trying to keep this more no, professional. Anyway, I, I guess sorry, YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to withdraw my comment. Man, what kind of world are we living in where we can't? Uh, That's frustrating, and I apologize for that. No, no, I don't. I, I, the last thing I do is blame you. The yeah. uh, what did I want to try to say? I, I guess the point was August 22, August 2022 was a surprising date that they had this policy in force until right. um, to the point where I, I felt it was important to try to and just the way the law society did it. It was just it was done by some weird corporate statement of the CEO, um, like an edict. And I thought it should have been decided um, on by everybody. Like we should have all had a like an order in council, like an executive order, like just coming down from the big boss type of thing. No debate, no nothing. I think they all delegate. I think the, the benchers delegated the decision, you know, directly or indirectly to the CEO. But uh, I felt I looked over the bylaws. I was like, I don't think this is the correct, you know, as a corporate lawyer. I was like, I think there's a different way this should, this should have been done. Not to say that it, it was impossible to have the mandate. I just think it should have. Um, according to the constitution of the, the, uh, the law society, because you're changing the constitution metaphorically and literally when you bar certain people from coming into the building, you literally are changing the constitution of who's going to be a lawyer and how they're going to be lawyering when you exclude mm -hmm. them from the law society building. So okay. I thought Does that I thought, splash of cold water in your face when you realize that. Yeah. It was like the Darth Vader moment. I was like, I was like, here I was appointed everybody at their industry. I'm like, you guys are all excluding. And then they're like, Wait a second, your own law society is excluding unvaxxed. Right. I'm like, oh right. man. I was like, and I, you know, there, anyhow. So I, I had the same funny. moment in 2020. I'm going to get to that in a moment with you. Oh, you had the same? Okay. Yeah. Se separate subjects, same law society. I'll get to that in a moment with you. I hear these, I see your, your comments for people who are losing their jobs, you know, ruin my life. Um, income. Okay. Yep. What, what set me off? I don't know if we're transitioning to the different discussion. What set me okay. off on this advocacy thing, okay, was a phone call I received in February of 2022, January. Uh, two of them, two very similar. Remote workers being canned, being tossed, like, discarded. I was like, remote workers, what, what's going on here? Like, I was just minding my own business, working, you know, uh, up until then, trying to navigate different. But then in when remote workers started getting axed in January, February of 2022, for not getting vaccinated, people who had been who bent over backwards for their employers up until then during, you know, cause during the pandemic. And that's not easy to isolate at home, work at home. People that had given everything were overnight, like, and, and not just like, you know, here's, here's a severance, here's six months, here's a year. I'm really sorry. Hug, you know, sorry, sorry. We have to do this. It was more like you got to get this or you're being terminated for cause. I'm like, mm -hmm. 
And just so your audience, is, your audience knows, cause. when you're terminated for cause, okay, that's like the capital punishment in, in, the, in the employment world. That means you've done something really bad and you're a bad person. Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and so when you terminate someone for cause, a remote worker for not getting vaccinated, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of re ways you can terminate someone, okay? And you, you just say good, goodbye. Next day, they're fired. You just, but you pay them, you give them a bit of notice. But when yep. you terminate people for cause for remote workers and i got a lot of these i was like holy cow we got a problem something this is not right this is a serious problem um and and the di the dicey part is okay you know it, depending on the level of knowledge at what point okay healthcare workers were they were they a higher risk you know we quickly learned the and i don't want to get too much into the the um, <laughs> the uh, censorship stuff but you, know, you can we, call it the drug because they don't catch that. So you can say the drug, drug instead of the B word. Yeah. Oh, can we talk about AI? How AI is screwing every, everything up too? I'll get there too because okay. I know a lot about AI. Yeah, we can get so, there too. Uh, so um, <clears throat> that's when I kind of like, okay, I, I got to do something. I got to, you know, I start, I tried to publish on LinkedIn, but it wasn't really like the, the right format. You know, a lot of times picked me up to, uh, a couple of times, but to really get the stuff off my chest, I needed Twitter. And uh, that's where it's been going since. Terminated for cause, yeah. refusing to submit to an experimental drug therapy. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So many yeah, of those. Yeah. So many. And I so, still got uh, a couple, like I've just overloaded, like I've got a couple in the pipes now and these, you know, uh, and I just, I got to make sure, you know, that I can um, wrap up the, uh, the cases that I've got, like basically wrongful termination for the, you know. Um, there's a lot. Cause I, I remember speaking to one lawyer at, just after I left Ontario and I said, hey, how are things? He's like, look, I got nothing but wrongful dismissal and uh, uh, employment law. Can mm -hmm. you help me out? I'm like, I moved to Alberta. I can't. Uh, but yeah, there was a lot of that going around. Where, where are you licensed now in Alberta or just? Uh... No, well, paralegal in Ontario. There's no paralegal program here. All right, you I'm, talk okay. I'm talking to the actual government about creating one and I want to be grandfathered into it. So maybe one day I'll be licensed again for Alberta, but there's no paralegal program here. Um, but let me tell you about where I kind of had my heart sunk. This was in 2020. This was during the early in the lockdown. I got a CPT, CPD notice, so continued professional development. And there was four extra hours for critical race theory course. Do you remember that? Um, I don't it was in know. 2020. Yeah, four extra. Four, okay. four extra extras. Yeah. It was on top of the 20, so it was four additional that year. Oh God! Okay, I don't remember that. <laughs> you might have been doing I'm a lot good of my CBD though. Um, okay, so <laughs> yeah, 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 go on. You you would have known because they would have told you you had to do those four hours as well. Um, and this was where it just basically started to talk about how you have to respect race and you have to respect people and be sensitive with it. You have to understand that you have a role and you have to be sensitive to the other side as well. They didn't go as far as saying don't do your job. They just said you got to be sensitive when you're working with the other side. You don't remember that training? <laughs> I'd like to speak to my lawyer before answering any further questions. Um, yeah. It's, you know, 2020 was a, a world ago. But, a while uh, ago. It was a while ago. Because on our profile on the CPD, it does ask for race and gender. You can choose to not answer it, uh, but it is asked. Okay. So how did that, so what were that, that's what, that would, that's what set you off onto what, on your path of, of what? My concern speech? was that we're all being trained to be oh. sensitive because of our race. And that training scared me because if you have an issue with that particular issue, well, our courts are already 
indoctrinated to be sensitive with that issue and have already taken a position. And that was my, my reading of that CPD course was going forward because of my race. I'm actually going to have to be extra sensitive or else I could have problems and have things reported on me in this area. Um, so that, that concerned me because if I have a problem with that, it's the same system I have to go to. Much like when you have your library is not allowing vaccination, where do you file a complaint and a motion when the law society itself is not following this constitution? Well, you file well, it against the law society. It's funny, you know, and this is going on with the law society for a long time, right? Because this was the whole idea, right? The whole transformation that's been happening since I don't even know when it was 2012. Um, well, 2020 is when I first saw it because I was only in there since 2018. Like I passed my test 2017, joined the law society, then from then on. Um, but yeah, I'm 2020 is when I had that. I think you had a different curriculum than we did, as maybe either either that particular program that you were required to take for for new. I don't yeah because I don't recall it being that. Uh, nothing was that. Um, at least the topics I chose for my EDI were were more kind were actually interesting and kind of cool. Um, so uh, don't know. Well, I did a lot of administrative. I did administrative, so I was on my list. So I'd be dealing with the public a lot. Um, and there was a couple others I did uh, small claims court. So again, public a lot. Okay. And those were the two main ones that I did. I don't know. Maybe I was selected. Maybe I answered a question. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe everybody has to do something at one point. Uh, maybe yours is still coming. Who knows? Yeah. Um, if you get four extra hours above the twenty, uh, then then maybe that's the program. Because that's what I had. And I was surprised because it wasn't even included in the 20. It was just you had to do it. I think I had like a three-month window to do it. Or else, of course, you get those. You're not finishing your CPD warnings. And then you can get, you know, consequences. There could be penalties for that. So. Um, so in terms of that, right, conformity of thought um, and how much lawyers, because there is a certain you know, you look at the professional rules, we are required to conform to certain, you know, regulatory mm -hmm. standards and code of ethics, a code of practice, like th there is a expectation that we think a certain way, that we behave a certain way, where that extends is kind of, you know, uh, an interesting question, right? Like, where to, to your personal, like, what part of your personal life is now governed by these rules of pursuit. And that's right. where, you know, Twitter is an interesting space in that regard. Um, you know, I try to be clear that this is my, these are my personal advocacy views. I don't even put it that I'm a lawyer on my Twitter account, but people figure it out because of the MBA LLB. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, for me, it, it, it came to the fore. Uh, there was a case where, um, out West, uh, I forget where it was actually Manitoba where a lawyer was, well, two cases, actually, uh, one was the, the Groya case, the Supreme court of Canada case in Groya where a lawyer in court was going real like a bulldog against um, who was against the OSC. Um, and his language in court was real strong and he was just being real, um, you know, real, real, real hard, hardcore. And uh, they, they didn't like his style in court. And so the, the law society, you know, dragged him. He, he went all the way to the Supreme court, Supreme court of Canada on whether he was allowed to behave the way he was behaving, whether his thought pattern and speech pattern, you know, were, um, we're in keeping with professional standards and he ended up winning, but not after spending millions in legal fees and, you know, spending his whole career making a name for himself in this regard, but he's pretty much my hero in this regard now. Um, and he's a venture, I think still. 
So tell what a, tell everybody what a venture means. A venture means it's a law society. It's position, basically, right? I think the it's the board of directors of the law society, effectively. So they're the ones that call the shots, make policies, and um, they're the ones at the top of uh, you know our regulatory body. They sit on committees, uh, and they uh, yeah they drive a lot of policy. Perfect. So after after the law society came after him, he ended up you know Game of Thrones. He joined the law society as a venture to make sure that. Other lawyers had a bit of, um, you know, I guess maybe there were better safeguards in place. I don't know. Is he still there? Uh, I think he's still there. I'd be curious really what he curious thinks about the it. mandate stuff or the library being vax only. I wonder what he would yeah, think about that. Yeah, good question. And that's why, and that's why I wanted to go to a vote of the benchers. I want to see who's in favor, who's opposed. Let it, you know, let's see on the record. It's important to know. So, but we never got there. So now I'm going to transition us into the the impact that mandates the lockdown and the COVID situation had on, on law in general. So one of the first things that happened was there was lockdown. So yes. at one point clo courts closed down. Um, well, hold on. Serious stuff, I believe. Yeah, go, 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 go. Yeah. Yeah. Lockdowns. Yeah. Yeah. Cause at one point I think serious stuff, like criminal stuff, like serious stuff still kept going. But small claims court closed down, uh, um, administrative stuff closed down, so landlord-tenant, and, and a few others. And then they also came up with some sort of statements like landlord-tenant, for example, said, you can't be evicted for not payment of rent during this mm -hmm. period of time. So moratorium on, on certain things. Um, first, were you surprised that the Law Society did that? Because we have remote technology. We could have we could have Zoomed a whole bunch of stuff all along. Like, Were you surprised that the legal profession my, did that? My brain... That's a good question. My brain space at the time was like in a different world. Like I was in survival mode in some ways. Okay. Like Kids, most of us, we thought it was real. Right. Mm -hmm. Kids home from, like I just wasn't thinking. I'm like, okay, yeah, that sounds about right. Shut down the whole system. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm in sure. two, two weeks to flatten the curve. We've got to shut it all down. Like Mick, that's, that's what they say. So mm -hmm. um, at the time it made, it made kind of, well, I don't know if it made sense, but I just, okay, I'm in the zone. I'm a soldier of his majesty's, you know. Um, so I'm like, okay, do what you got to do. And then... And this is masking time. This wasn't vaccine yet. Vaccine wasn't ready yet. It's just mask time masking. and people getting mm -hmm. sick. Yeah. So I can see why the concern was still there at that time because we really didn't know yet. I, for, for me, it wasn't... The law was um, less of a concern. Just I was more concerned about the economics. Like how would debt... How would, What was going to happen to debt? Because... It, like I didn't understand how the whole flow, how the whole system could could keep operating. You know, um, if you have, um, you know, companies that are expecting rent from major from major tenants, and the tenants can't pay the rent, and then mm -hmm. those um, those pension funds or whatever owners of real estate can't pay their pensions. Like I just I was amazed that the system kept you know kept going. So kudos, you know, credit to uh, you know um, all levels of government in that regard. Like it it you know smooth operations. Um, but, uh, on the legal side, yeah, when they froze things like, okay, so how, where, what's going to happen to limitations periods and all this stuff. I remember actually on the day they locked down on the day they locked down, I actually had to file, get something filed in court and the, the lockdowns were cut and we didn't know what the status of it was going to be. So I like, I actually recall personally driving to the court, I forget where it was, I think in Newmarket to make sure it got in. Cause we didn't know what would happen if the courts were locked? What happens to limitations periods? What happens if you have mm -hmm. you know, a certain period of time to file something? But, you know, it, every common sense prevailed in, in that regard, which was it kind paused, of... paused, right? 
Right. Everything put on pause. They were able to take, yeah, everything was, that, that period didn't count toward statute limitation. Right. right. And of course, that's common sense. That would make a ton of sense. But paying your dues and paying your mortgage and a whole bunch of other things weren't paused. So right. if you had an office, a law office that wasn't open for those two weeks, you're still paying your rent. There's a bunch of other things that are not paused, your salaries for people. Now, you didn't have that, but I'm sure you've heard stories and you know people who did. So how did the law society, not the law society, uh, the law profession handle that? Were people being paid? Were they taking loans? Like what was going on? Um, that's a good question. I think for the most part, law was, you know, uh, they talk about law, the practice of law, the privilege, right? The privilege mm -hmm. of law. Like you, you see it. You, I, I saw it then. Um, I still see it now. The privilege of being able to work remotely. Uh, the privilege of you know lawyers being able to and judges being able to have court remotely on Zoom. Uh, it took a. I find that effective and, and efficient too. It is, but to. let's get back to it because I actually don't like that we're still on Zoom for a lot of hearings. Um, I want to get back to that at some point. Maybe one of us should. I have actually marked down as a note. Um, I think for the most part, like it was, you know, the level of disruption was pretty minimal um, because, again, there's also um, a lot of financing available for uh, for law firms that had to put employees on you know, suspended pay or whatever. Right. That was my question. So there was some sort of financial loans or cheap credit I, or something along those lines i, I believe yeah I, be, I believe like any small business or there was or whether it's rent debate like there were th there was help at the provincial i forget what it was provincial federal um even I the banks they, had some programs too yeah exactly so in that regard you know I, I don't think lockdowns disrupted the practice of law too much i think where the biggest disruption was just psychologically a lot of lawyers especially the sole practitioners um, not being able to go to the functions that they had been used to going to. And that really does take a toll um, on, I think, on skills. I think it takes a toll on, uh, you know, just uh, the emotions of the lawyer, um, mm. bouncing ideas off people. Like, I think that the isolation affected the practice of law in that regard, right? You couldn't just, there was no water cooler talk for lawyers anymore. And a lot of, a lot of important ideas are exchanged that way. And so in that regard, I think the lockdowns did have an impact. But that being said, you know, uh, it's an essential service. So mm -hmm. anyone who wanted to was could, could freely go, um, you know, into work or into uh, to certain to certain work locations, not to the conferences. But, you know. And, and when the courts were open, I, I think they took a while because I actually worked for United Counties SDNG and they had a provincial court there. And the very first thing we did was lock down and court was off, but we had remote access for everything set up. Um, and then the first thing they started to do was remote for tickets and other things, like trying to get those to, to happen to mm -hmm. keep that revenue going because for the county, tickets is actually a revenue for the county. Um, so they started to run it as a court, <laughs> started to run into issues with uh, revenue uh, that those they need to address as well. Uh, and by the way, that was an eye opener to understand how much the court relies on revenue from tickets to operate uh they do interesting <laughs> yes yes uh, right. i was actually disturbed by that because it did create the environment where they were asking the rcmp who was contracted to get tickets to write all tickets please um that was a bit of a push from the court in order to pay bills um i was there at some of those meetings to write um, all tickets what do you mean well they were letting some stuff go they weren't writing all speeding tickets they're letting people go 
So the encouragement was to write all tickets. If it's a ticketable offense, write it. Oh, wow. Um, and that, that was the encouragement because they needed their numbers to go up. Now, it wasn't an order and they didn't have to do it. It was an encouragement. And they were very careful in those wording uh, because you can't. The government can't tell police what to do. But when they're contracted to be your police force to write tickets, you can certainly insinuate and imply that the numbers are low and they need to be higher. Wow. I don't even know what to make of that. I was surprised too, because I thought that the entire court was funded by the province. I didn't think that there was this relationship with the actual income from tickets, uh, but there is, at least at that one. Um, but and that leads to a whole cascading now, a bunch of questions. Like, that's not my area at all. Like, I, I just did my, you know, um, provincial offenses, uh, or not, it wasn't a provincial, it was a quarantine act ticket recently. Um, I was going to get to that soon because there's some of these tickets that came up in the middle of COVID that were questionable. Um, right. And what, but so then I, I start to get a flavor of what's going on behind the scenes in terms of like the, what's the politics? Cause it's, you know, the, the law is one thing, the pol there's politics and there's policy on the other. Um, so yeah, I didn't think of just regular tickets. If, if no one's driving, right. What happens to the court budgets? And yeah, that was a concern. There was an emergency meeting because the roads were not producing tickets. There was an emergency meeting on how to do that. Okay. Well, and that bothers me because I thought, well, I thought there would be at least, like, how do you not have a budget to run for the year? And it doesn't matter how many tickets come in. Well, you probably do, but it, it puts pressure that the, uh, somebody has to sit. In. No? Nope. They have budget the salaries and they budget the fixed uh, capital costs. But there's a bunch of other stuff that they can't get if they don't get tickets, like additional software, upgraded packages of things. We can't buy new hardware. If that server needs to be done, where's that money coming from? There's a lot of costs there that are recovered absolutely by the tickets. Wow. Just the way it is. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, yeah. And, and they're also all kind of disconnected. They use different software. Half the courts use one type of software. Other courts make their own software. Right. It's really disconnected, too. Just CAMS. CAM is, CAM is the most popular one. CAMS, C-A-M-S, Court Administration Management System. Uh, and that came out of Niagara's court. But half of Ontario used it, and the other half had their own systems. <laughs> but they all interface with a really old mainframe system that the government runs for um, the docket. So the dockets are all maintained on a, main, uh, a, a large system, an old system uh, that the province runs. Oh, I was in the IT part of that. That's why I know so much about all that. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. I guess I'll you can interview me about the tech <laughs> in court one day. <laughs> Happy to go through all that. But those are some of the eye openers for me. So when the Law Society started to do this critical race theory and started telling me to be sensitive, of, take race and um, I even think gender was in there, but race was definitely the highlight and use that as part of my adjusting my behavior towards the other side i'm like oh like i didn't understand why that was such an issue but maybe i'm on the wrong side of that problem i guess i don't know well wait, that's created that... the whole split in the lot right the whole split in the venture in the they uh what they call it the slate right um mm -hmm. so that, that's at least in two whatever that was the last election 2018 um yeah but and, uh and the main but yep yeah. No, I was going to say the main thing that they were trying to make sure I understood was to treat people better based on race. Now, they didn't say you could just go crazy on non-POC. Uh, the whole conversation, the whole module was on uh, identifying and respecting POC. Um, and that's really how that material was delivered to me. Now, I didn't leave the profession because of that. I ended up leaving for 
other reasons of leaving Ontario. I wanted more land and more opportunity. And Doug Ford was pinging my phone and telling me to go home when I went and bought gas for the barbecue. I didn't like that. <laughs> I didn't like that. Oh, at wow. All. Actually, that's impressive. Yeah, it was only two kilometers away. Wait, was that? I don't think I ever. That was based on what? That wasn't just based on a, 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 a an area wide notification, was it? Or was it specific? No, no, because my wife didn't get it either. Um, I left oh, my wow. home. That's went nice to got propane. Went to got propane just down the street for the barbecue. It's only two kilometers down the road. I'm rural, uh, and as I'm at the store, burp, 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 you must return home. It's a lockdown. You can only leave for essential items. It didn't say, Jason, you must return home. It just says you have to. And then when I got home, I said, did you get this emergency one as well? No. When was it? Oh, interesting. Oh, gosh. This would have been like one month into it with the first lockdowns. Oh, Because we ran a guess. We were planning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, 2020 was when I had some eye opening. I'm like, why are they buzzing my phone? Why CRT and the Law Society? And then we were starting to get into the conversation about... Um, I was I was wondering why my employer wasn't um, uh, doing uh, uh, what's this called? Not immunity tests, uh, antibody testing. So early into this whole thing, again, I worked for the government. Um, we, I'm the guy that created the remote system for the government, so everybody got to work home, at home because I set up that system. Uh, and I asked him about coming back. This is really early. This is way before the drug came around. Um, and I'm like, look, I'm concerned when nobody wants to get sick. And I have two young kids have actual health issues if they, they get respiratory problems. Um, so I said, are we going to antibody test? And they said, no. <laughs> I said, well, can you find out? And they, they went and talked to the um, chief medical for Eastern Ontario to ask, are we doing antibody testing? And the answer came back, no, we're not doing antibody testing. Um, they were just going to do isolation for now and then have Certain people come in, certain people come in, keep them separate, rotate them, rotate them, this whole thing. Um, but I pushed this whole issue about antibody testing, and then I had a constructive dismissal. <laughs> so I no longer work there, and I decided to leave Ontario to uh, try something new in Alberta. So that's so kind of how that antibody unraveled. testing is, lo is logical. Um, it's uh, it, it's uh, it's. Well, I mean, it's logical if you can only get it once like the chicken pox and if you can test and you know you have it that was my argument like if we know we had it i got sick in december 2019 yeah 2019 right. so before the big one in 2020 i was really sick in december um for two weeks and that's unusual for me and my wife had a cough that lasted months uh that came out of december so we actually suspected that maybe we caught it early so i wanted to antibody test to find out because if that was the case, well, then I can go to the office and I can keep working because I'm safe. I already had it. They, they weren't doing that. They weren't interested in that. And I became a problem to them because I kept pushing that issue. So I wonder if antibody testing is like how that would line up with the Genetic Non-Discrimination Act. Is it, is it basically like, you know, are you discriminating on the basis of some type of genetic um, characteristic potentially? Um, that would be my biggest concern there. Well, if it's uh, mRNA, then you can certainly talk genetic. Right. If it's if it involves, I guess antibodies aren't. I don't even know. Are antibodies RNA DNA? Uh, no. The the problem was there was no test. They weren't talking about bringing a test, and this just wasn't on their radar. What they're on their radar was six feet apart, masks, rotate shifts, right. not together. Like those were all the things. They, they Which is the most inclusive way to do it without discriminating <laughs> on the basis of you know uh, health status. Like yeah, I think that kind of right. That made kind of well, sense at the time. 
No, but now that we understand it a little bit more years later, there were different variants and it did mutate and it would be tough and you can get it a second time. All of that stuff came out a little bit later. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but at the early onset of it, because it was being said, once you get it, it's gone. It's the same as chicken pox, yada, yada. And that was our thinking around that time. Because I thought it would be effective. Like, if I had the antibodies, I'm not a threat to anybody. Test me. Like, I'm all for that test. I wasn't for the other tests, up the nose and that kind of stuff. I wasn't for those. Yeah, but, look, uh, if, yeah. You, if you willingly submit to it, that's, yeah, that's a different issue. I think, right, if you willingly submit to any test, that's, that's totally different. It's where they make it a condition for employment where I think there's some real, un, there's some unforeseen diciness to that approach, which um, I'm curious how it's going to land. Um, and that's kind yeah. of my pinned tweet now is on this whole thing. The fact that the PCR tests inadvertently, you know, may have violated the Genetic Non-Discrimination Act because you're basically testing for RNA, DNA. I, they're going to say it's a foreign RNA. It's like it's, it's the RNA of the virus or something, right? Put that on the record so everybody knows there is foreign right. RNA. So, but, that. <laughs> but then we're hearing people where the something happens and it, you know it incorporates into your actual g like into a person's actual genes. So it's you could still test positive for months or years, even though you're not. So like the status, like it, it's a foreign RNA that can become an endemic. R, uh, I don't know. It's uh, the whole RNA tests were kind of a dicey uh, approach that you know may require a second visit. And also, if there's a modification, is your DNA original anymore? And there's some other problems that might be coming up there. And is it mm -hmm. your DNA if it's been modified? I know that they're pushing some of those questions. If your DNA has been modified, is it still yours? What a weird question to have. Don't you it think? is weird. It is weird stuff. And there's also patents on some of this stuff. And Right. It's an interesting world. Now, we can get back into the patent law because there's a lot of weird stuff about this as well. But, yeah, um, some of these were, were weird to me. Now... When we started to get back into court now, so now I'm taking you through, uh, we're not quite yet at vaccination, but we're all wearing masks and court's starting to open up a little bit because, well, we need some justice and things were backing up. Did you get back into it right away? Was there a rush? Was it easy for you? Um, when you started to get back in at that time, can you explain to us what it was like for you? Um, like I'm not in court that much. Like I'm not a, you know... Um... I'm not but you can file stuff and mail's coming back into you now and things are starting to move again. Yeah, like it, it adapted relatively quickly, um, right? Um, in terms of filing stuff, uh, what do they call it? Case, uh, I forget now. Like the courts um, allowed uploading. It wasn't entirely smooth, but it, it, it acted pretty fast um, where you could upload documents, mass amounts of documents to the system and avoid having, you know, uh, process servers attend to court, wait in line, like... In that regard, there's been some great savings, you mm -hmm. know, and great process changes that were long overdue. So um, once things ironed out, I think those changes were very welcome. And some, yeah, some hearings, you know, courts were like very adamant about not having uh, parties att attend, you know, case conferences by phone, like they had to actually show up. And so that shifted away um, very quickly to necessity of whatever, you know, however you can dial in, zoom in, whatever it is, um, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll take it. And that was interesting. Um, so I think the, the courts and the profession adapted, I think like in, in wretched, like in hindsight, it wasn't, you know, instantaneous, but it was pretty effective. I thought so. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. Cause most, 
sorry, I was going to say most of that work can be done remote and filed in. Yeah. But when it came to the actual litigation, uh, some of the challenge I ran into was being able to really gauge the room. So he was out right. there, pass papers back and forth, mm-hmm. walk up and be in the space of a witness. Uh, it was a little bit different. And, and we're not really prepared for not being able to see body language or, or if they're wearing a mask, even if they were in court, you can't see some of their face. Like, I know that I didn't do much because I ended up moving. But I did do some remote stuff out in Ontario while I was here. And it was a different experience to do the litigation that way. I kind of liked it and I kind of didn't like it. Um, were you the same way? Uh, so, no, I'm, I'm uh, very opinionated on this. I think it really depends on the litigant. I think whoever's rights have been impacted should be able to choose what setting they want. Meaning, okay, um, if a person feels like an in-person hearing is better, for, is more advantageous to them, I think they should ha- they have they should have to have that right. If you deprive someone no, of that, now right, you're talking about the plaintiff or the, the person uh, filing, whatever it is. If it's um, a, a, even a defendant, can, you know, has certain rights where if they feel their case is not is going to be prejudiced by not having it in person, I think the defendant should also be able to say, let's move this over to you know in person, because I'm not able to get the evidence out there properly. I'm not able to mm-hmm. convince the judge or the jury, whatever it is. Um, and that's even in, for even in case conferences, even in, uh, you know. Now, if, if someone doesn't feel comfortable attending in person, you know, that's okay, fine. So they got to get a, a medical exemption, a doctor's note saying, I, I can't attend in person. I'm, I'm anxious, whatever it is. But you've switched the onus. Like, I don't know how Canada compares now globally the fact that we've moved everything onto Zoom. I'd be very mm-hmm. interested in hearing, I don't know how many your viewers are in other parts of the world, but like, you know, what, what's, uh, you know, what's the uh, United States doing? Uh, what's uh, Australia, New Zealand? I'd be interested in what other jurisdictions are doing for in-person versus remote. Again, there's a lot of savings and it's, you know, I've got to deal with, uh, if you're dealing with a ticket three hours north of Toronto, like, of course, you know, um, most litigants would probably say, okay, I'll just, I'll, I'll take the chance and avoid the in-person, you know, just do the do Zoom hearing. But I don't know. Depends on the the case. Depends on the hearing. So especially family law, I can expect that one might have been family law. The the way I see it, okay, is if you let's in a case where you've something has been taken from you, okay, and you need to have that presence to to take to um, you know to to um, address the person who's taken from something from you, whether it's your job, a severance, pension, anything. Sometimes when you see that person in like in front of you, you'll give them what they want. You're more likely to give them what they want. You know what I mean? It's a bit of a psychological mm-hmm. thing, but it's, it comes right. down to the basic idea of like, there's this barrier, there's this computer barrier that really gives the upper edge to depending on the person. But in the case of wrongful dismissal, um, it gives the advantage to the person who's being, de- uh, who's depriving the other of property. It's uh, and so I think it's a real it's a real shame what we've kind of automatically kind of shifted into without really discussing it as a legal community, even maybe it's discussed privately among the judges. But um, I think it's a real prejudice to some parties and I'm feeling it on some cases. Yeah. And there's a reason why we do it in person to begin with. We didn't do it by letter or anything else. We've always done it in person to the point where. If you didn't show up in person, you were going to jail. <laughs> like you, you can't dial it in, right? If you dialed in on certain, like, oh, judge, I'm here, I'm, I'm on the phone. Like, no, 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 you were ordered to come in. You're in jail. You're going to, we're putting you in contempt. Um, and and people have been, people have gone to jail 
for dialing in when they should have been there in person. So back then, whatever it was, two, three years ago and prior, we recognized in person was a burden. Like that was part, you know, depending on the situation or a benefit that had to be recognized um, as such. And so uh, there's got to be more, uh, you know, it's got to be a more mindful approach to this shift to Zoom, I think. Again, there's so many advantages to it because it saves gas, you know, scheduling. There's tons of advantages. But for certain hearings, no way, man. There's got to be in person. I would agree with that. So maybe classifications of certain times, like administrative law, you can zoom that. Yeah. Family, exactly. wills, estates, where you got to open it up and kind of be there in person, keep it in person. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Now, now my next subject is an interesting one that I actually don't know the answers to because I left before okay. it all really happened. COVID tickets. So tickets related to COVID in any way, shape, or form. So masks or whatnot, including the uh, coming back to Canada, you have to go to the hotel, oh, yeah. that kind of stuff. So let's just group that up as COVID tickets. Okay. Um, now, now what I'm taught, what I was taught in law school was laws are debated, legislated, they're passed through the House or parliamentary service uh, if you're on the provincial level, and then eventually they are ticketed or used, and then they're tested in court to stand up on whether or not they're any good. And it's really not until it goes all the way to the test of the court that it's really established as a law. Now, the COVID tickets were kind of just on a bylaw level even, just started to be issued and they weren't tested and there were thousands of them. Uh, what ended up happening with these COVID tickets? For example, Randy Hilliard got some just for showing up to work. Um, so what ended up happening? Are they sticking well, or, or, or what's going on? It's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. Um, the reality is that the law was passed. There is a quarantine act and there are, there was an order in council or well, <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> don't get me started. I, please do. I want to get to the bottom of this one. Something fishy happened. Okay. With a lot mm -hmm. of the, with the, with the, um, with the order, with one of the, the COVID um, set of tickets, meaning the requirement to use a Rive can, something fishy happened okay. there in terms of when the order officially came that it had to be a Rive can, like that you would need it. For, so for tickets for that, I'm talking. Um, it wasn't clear when that officially became law or why it became law, because at the end of the day, it's just information. And you can give information in many ways. You don't need an app to give information. You could just verbally give it to an officer. So why give a ticket to someone if they're prepared to give you the information um, through verbal means? Um, so there's a question there. So, so to be clear to everybody, you had to use the app to cross the border. And if you didn't use the app, you get a ticket. Correct. And this is and where... And even if you didn't have a cell phone, what happened then? You had to access a terminal somewhere along the way or go to a terminal in the airport. I'm not sure. Um, but there were Luddites out there, I heard that did not, they don't, they don't use cell phones and they were seriously prejudiced by this. Mm -hmm. um, so the point is some of these uh, COVID tickets were included in either regulation or they were authorized under orders in council, or there was something in the quarantine act that allowed for them. But yeah, others, I'm not clear if the, the legislation was properly implemented. And I think a lot of tickets did get tossed on that basis, meaning the ordering, the timing of, with the law, like they were giving tickets without actually having a law in place to justify it. Right. I think no statute backed. There no statute backed. Back. I think it only really came into play in late summer of 2022. That's when ArriveCan was formally 
um, published as the requ as a requirement under law. Up until then, it was just like everybody was just kind of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Let's get the Canadians to that think that they have to download this, um, and you can come back into Canada using only this, you know, means. Um, but um, so, so in terms of whether those tickets are still holding, I mean, I think it really depends on so many factors at this point. Um, you know, different different areas of the country, I think, are adopting different strategies. I think how the tickets mm -hmm. are getting processed for pr prosecution affect whether they're going through, like whether, they got, you know, they're going to be charged. Meaning, I think some of the prosecutors don't want to touch them. They're just like, they'll find any way to avoid them because they're just, it's an unpleasant experience. They're expensive. You know, you're taking up a couple of hours potentially in court, um, like with, with high tech people, like you're talking about like office, health officers, constables, CBSA, like you're talking a full, like it just doesn't make sense um, based on, um, you know, b the, the cost benefit at this point, I think is just like, just let them all go. And, and right. Like when you get a traffic ticket, you can have the police officer come in as a witness to validate the information around the traffic ticket, the circumstances. Who would you bring in for a COVID ticket? Same COVID officer would be, that would uh, CBSA, so the custom, uh, what do they call it? The, uh, whatever it is, the custom officials, right? Canadian right, Border right. Service Agency. Um, so, point, yeah. so that person, uh, potentially a police officer, uh, public health agency uh, officer, and who else? I think that's pretty much it. So three, four people potentially, and then the crown, then the crown prosecutor or the city prosecutor, whoever's handling the ticket for the for the federal government. Um, that's the, those are the, that's, I'm talking quarantine act tickets, which is federal, uh, for the, for the bylaw stuff. Um, I'm not too familiar. I think I just saw that one. It been, uh, where was it? $37,000 ticket up there. Uh, the, uh, the, for the, one person, one person who really, who really was putting her, you know, thumbing, um, thumbing the order there during the height of lockdowns. Was uh, that accumulated tickets or one ticket? It's a good question. That's because I, I can't imagine a series of protests that was being organized. Um, it was in the news. Another one of the viewers probably know it. Like this is, but the point is, um, the point I didn't realize was that. Um, so, so the justice of the peace in that decision was like, if I if I just let the case go, it's going to bring the system of justice into disrepute, according to that that's, opinion. That's their argument for that's a lot of things out, right? But here's what then I didn't couldn't figure this out. But some other protests were were okay during COVID. Like there, you know, yes. some, some of the, uh, the BL, I think it was the other BLM. ones, some of the other ones. Yep. Right? For sure. The BLM part. Allowed. But so that, that didn't make sense. Like that didn't make sense to me if, and, and I think at the time, a lot of public health officials said th those were justified because of, uh, there was a separate pandemic. I think of, I, I'm not sure what the, um, what the rationale was, but so, okay. okay they're going to say, well, if we were to, prosecute both those then the system of justice would get into like i don't get the reasoning you know there it's it it's a bit hard to understand um but so i say just let let them all go let them all, drop all these things at this point but i don't know well they tried to do that here in alberta right so danielle smith she kind of ran on that when she was going right. to the leadership of the ucp she, she said look not only did she get in trouble um she found it very quick that she doesn't have that power Right. You can't vitiate tickets. You're not even supposed to direct the uh, crown, the legal. Yeah. Right. You're not supposed to at all. And, and you can make recommendations. Those are, those are allowed, but you cannot make orders or requirements. Right. So and, she can't, and you know, she... it, it's funny, though, because 
it makes sense, right? Because if you have the whole, everyone, everyone's beef was the fact that the premier or whoever is controlling everything all the way down the chain of command, right? And you don't want that. And so I, I get why, okay, let's create the gaps, the stop gaps between the premier and all the everyone below. Um, even though it's like, okay, guys, you know, you call them in for a meeting and like, I can't tell you what to do. Here's our budget. I don't think this really makes sense. Go do with it you, what you, you want. You know, there's indirect ways of getting at the same end. At the end of the day, mm -hmm. someone's recording it. It still looks like the same thing that you're trying to interfere with the administration of justice. So I don't know. It's a tough one. Um, you want someone to help. You want someone to, you know, implement your version of justice. But how do you do that? Because everyone has different versions of justice. I don't know. That's the problem, isn't it? <laughs> like my version and your version and their version's not the same. Right. Tough times. And that's because and that's because we actually have different problems, like much different situations. Like you live in sorry, you said you were in Toronto or yeah, I'm in uh, yeah, Bay, yeah, you're in Etobicoke. Yeah, you're in Etobicoke. So the requirements for you is a little bit different than me. Um, for example, you're close to the court. I have to travel far for the court. It's silly things like that. Um, but yeah, the environment's a little bit different too. Now, how did the Okay, so now we're at the tickets. Some of them, especially on the bylaw level, are likely getting tossed like crazy. Uh, but the federal level, like this $2,000 staying in the uh, hotel thing, I can imagine there's a lot of people that push back on that and are trying to get some money back because they, they can't even afford it. Like to begin with, it wasn't something that they even wanted to pay for. Are you seeing any of that or hearing about any of that of people trying I... to claw back some of that? A lot. Of, well, you mean because oh, they had to pay who they have to. Pay. I don't even know. Yeah. So let's say you were in Florida. This came in place. You were already out of the country to get back in. It cost you like six grand. Um, you know, I, I would say that that's something that some people would want to have back. Uh, they didn't know that when they left. It became a requirement. And it was a and it was a hefty requirement too. two thousand dollars a night. <laughs> was it actually? Wow, man. Government rates. Yeah, you, you couldn't. Yeah, you couldn't pick the hotel. You had to stay at the one they gave you two thousand dollars a night. And they weren't um, fancy. Like you saw the food, the pictures of the food and stuff. It was, it looked like fire festival. If you're, if you know what I'm referring to there, um, it's just horrible food. I mean, at the end of the day, like that's a different issue. I feel like when money's on the line with the government, that's a different issue to an extent. Right. So meaning like, okay, if someone's paid two, 4,000 bucks, yeah. For some people that's actually. Like that's a lot of money for some people. Right? Yeah. There's no, there's no resources to even, to even challenge it. Like to hire a lawyer, a paralegal to, get your money back is going to cost you the same amount. So you're, you're really, the government's inadvertently creating, I mean, they're just burying this, this class of folks that can't, right? They're, they're a class of folks that can't. And they also discourage a class of folks from going because you're gonna have to come back and spend that. Yep. So I think it was also an anti-travel type of thing. So don't travel or you're gonna have to spend four grand or six grand to come back. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it, when it gets to a level where the the economic harm becomes a human, uh, you know, a cycle, a, a, a physical well-being harm, that's where I kind of scratch. But like, what what when does that line get crossed? Meaning, mm. you know, when someone's deprived of of employment insurance, which is what this federal government did, right? Or when you deprive them of basic amounts of money so that they can't really they can't get a job, they lose. At what point does it become um, no longer a financial? injury but it becomes a real human right a human right slash or a, a well-being like you're actually going after the the health you're actually attacking that their health not the, the welfare of someone right and i think the court like there was a supreme court i don't know the law on this but th there is a point at which um where the economic interference can be so 
profound or the way it's done can be so damaging to a person that it, it, it is a form of like almost like torture. And that's kind of where I was with the bank freezes. That's where I kind of got like, holy cow, man, you're, you're mm -hmm. messing around here. You're taking this next level. Um, you know, you're preventing people from buying food. They could, people would, didn't want to buy food for someone whose bank account was frozen. Like you're, you know, you're creating a health problem here. <laughs> like, like this is just about money. So someone coming back to the country has to pay two to 4,000 bucks. Yeah. I mean, I mean, um, it's on the triage of injury uh, of issues, you know, I'm going, I'm thinking, okay, well, fine. Eventually we get to them, but right now we got to deal with, well, vaccine injuries. We got to deal with, um, right. folks who've, who ha can't get jobs still don't weren't getting EI. Like it's just triage. Yeah. And even there's federal government employees that were having trouble. They, they were, I ran into a couple of them during the POEC where they weren't being paid. Uh, they were having trouble because they wouldn't take that drug. Um, a lot of people fell behind, lost their apartments, lost their homes. Some people lost marriages. There's a lot of things that uh, really happened when all that pressure on your payroll uh, started to happen during that time. Right. Um, yeah, and I, I think for years we're going to be rebuilding or recovering from that. And some people won't. Some people left us. Um, that's actually taken us to the next part of this conversation. Maids. Maids. Right. So now after, you, after the government screws everyone over, they start offering them this thing. This new product, form of care. Yeah, sorry. No, um, I wanted to hear that anger because I have the exact same anger because I am shocked that we even have this and I'm shocked that it's expanding and I'm shocked that we have to have conversations like mature minors, mental illness, dementia. Like, really? So here, okay, well, I'll ask you because I get asked. Well, so you're basically pro-suffering? No. pro-suffering? We have hospice care. We have lots of different ways that we've been doing for years to deal with uh, end of life. We've been doing this since the beginning of time. Certainly not pro-suffering. I, I have a brother, I can take you to the story, uh, hit by a car. Uh, uh, what was the score called? There's something Glasgow's score, GCG score. There's a score. He was three, which is the bottom of it. It's the absolute worst score to have. And he was 17. Um, so, no, I'm very familiar with uh, end-of-life care, hospice care, um, watching someone suffer because they're still alive and naturally their body is strong, but everything else is gone. So, no, I, I'm very sensitive to the subject. Um, but, but that's a common response to people is, so you're for suffering. Um, what did we have before maids? We had hospice care. We had drugs. We had ways to take care of people. Um, but I think this subject has gone even further than that. Um, because now other people are getting it. And I want to have that kind of conversation. Mature minors is one of them. Mental illness is another one. Dementia is another one. Because why is dementia patient suffering? Right. So, so by, by way of a background, my mom made a career in palliative care. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. She cool. wrote a book. What's that? Yeah, she, she wrote a book on it. I try to pawn it off on my uh, followers, but nobody uh, seems to be as interested in this. Um, it's called uh, Life After Death. But she won a, uh, she got a Senate medal for it, like, and for her whole career. So basically, her job was just to um, tend to end people of life care. with end of life care, right? So she mm -hmm. was first, she was a front runner uh, in terms of dealing with seeing, you know, right up close to my end. So, how to, how to, what you can provide for someone in that situation. Um, you know, there is pain management that you can offer. Um, she brought her, you know, she brought the family pet to the hospital. Um, so comfort, yeah. 
to comfort songs, sing mm-hmm. like choirs. There's so much they would do. It, it changes humanity when you have the mindset of, you know, um, that you, there are people that need to, to live and that your voice, your hand can, um, you know, can, can extend someone's life by a day or two. Um, yeah. You know, that being said, a lot of us big talkers like, what do I, you know, why am I not on front line with people that could probably use a a laugh for five minutes? Maybe that'll help. Like, so there's a bit of a guilt that I, you know, personally, I feel like if I'm really putting my money where my mouth is or my time where my mouth is. Um, But I feel like it is the front, right? It is the um, pressing issue of our time um, because... um, yeah, there, there's a lot we could be doing in terms of system design so that there's better funding so that people, that the ones who are like depressed and choosing made, well, no, we can design systems better so that, you know, you're, you're in a, if it's a social isolation, we can, that can be addressed. Simple mm-hmm. changes that just, but the reality is that, the reality is that it's expensive to care for seniors, right? It's, I think that the, the budget office put out the report. I was going to share it. It, it, it was in one of the articles um, talking about how much it saves by, by uh, eliminating one senior citizen from uh, ongoing care. It's like $150,000 a person per year, I think. So that number, I think, you know, you're looking, you're looking at that. That's for someone in public health who's unclear who has a, uh, on the morals. And then there's that number. Well, okay, we can use that number to create new drugs and make people's quality of life better and extend life in other situations. So I think there's that kind of twisted reasoning going on. But uh, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. The, the, what the shocking part, too, is the whole, legisl- the whole way this got passed through the, legisl- the legislature is also kind of shocking because the Supreme, everyone's saying, oh, well, it's a charter right. It was the Supreme Court of Canada that clearly said that there's a charter right to die. If you look at the history, you know, of that case of the Supreme Court, I didn't read that part of the charter, by the way. Right. Well, it's it's uh, what was it under life, liberty and security of the person, I think. Um, So security of the person means if someone ordinarily has the ability to do something to their body and they uh, are going or they no longer have that ability, they shouldn't be deprived of that ability um, just because they happen to be in a bad physical state. They should always. And so appoint an agent to do that deed for the person. You know, um, so but is that's suicide, I, is suicide still, still on the books as illegal. That's a good question because <laughs> it was at one point that was the one law that you can commit that you can't be convicted for. I think that was, yeah, what was the ruling on that, anyhow? Because it, it should come off the books now if maids is a program, right? Um, but point is that that Supreme Court of Canada case, um, was not as permissive as the legislature ended up taking it. Like, so what happened was Lametti ended up um, relying on a Quebec decision, which a lower court decision that expanded um, the Supreme Court of Canada's decision. They didn't appeal it. They could have easily appealed the decision, um, but they didn't. And that's where it expanded it to, I think people with mental uh, issues. And I think they're using it also now expand further to, to aid to, to minors, mature minors. So, I, I don't know what to tell you. I think uh, um, if, you know, unless someone brings it to the Supreme Court of Canada, and I'm not sure on what basis they, the Supreme Court could even strike it down at this point, right? Like, what would be the grounds for striking it down? 
I can't a even parent think. bringing bringing something forward because their mature minor went through the process and one parent didn't agree. Something yeah, along those lines. That'd be a good. Yeah, the mature minor. Okay, maybe that case. Um, yeah, because that's because you can argue you had the rights as a parent to keep your right. kid alive. Another one chose differently. What do you do now? Yep. Because that's one bothering me because it's going to be. <clears throat> look, I, I'm an empathetic, sympathetic, and uh, reasonable person. So the original conversations way back when, for the purpose of maids, you can tug on my heartstring a little bit for that one. Mm -hmm. The expansion of it and how it's just it's really changing into. You're hearing reports, and by the way, they're basically a bit of a false rumor, but there are people are applying because of economic reasons, so they're poor. Um, I know there's headlines where they're saying Canadians execute their poor. That's not true. Um, there was somebody who applied who also had mental illness, and that's why the application was looked at, but they never got it approved. So we don't do that. We don't actually allow maids for economic reasons. Is there? Is, has that changed? Are you aware of any case where somebody was successfully received maids purely for economic reasons i've only heard in case in the media no i've um yeah that case in the media has been is it was false information so that one was in a top not a topic of markham or something in that area um and it was a mentally disabled person who was applying under that reason uh, not economic i mean look I, I, there's been too many people via twitter that have reached out to me saying that they the, the liberal the this liberal um doling out of made offering made um like that's just to me is proof you know that that's enough proof that this thing is not working as soon as you start offering it to anyone on an unsolicited basis to me mm. that that we've got to go back to the drawing board and stop the whole program um that should never be you never offer that to anybody um well the, what was what year was it, it was ten thousand. so not last year not 2022 but 2021 the numbers came up for 2021 and it was ten thousand people that use maids and growing and during that same year, there's 2,000 people who took their own lives. So the government is doing a roughly 80% of the end-of-life care for people while they're handling the other 20% themselves. Yeah, I, I'm scared. They're supposed to release the numbers. July is the, is the month that they're supposed yeah, to Yeah, well, I don't know the numbers for 2022 yet. They've, they're delay. So either, I don't know. My, I mean, I'm every, waiting for them because I'm sure they're higher than what they were last yeah, year. Everything's d delayed now. But, but, but my concern is that like, yeah, this could be shocking. But anyhow, we'll see. Um, but yeah, look, I'm seeing your comments. Yeah, there, there are people like at the end where um, you really get the flavor that they, they want to end their suffering. And so, yeah, the, if they're dying, if they literally have to die of thirst or die of hunger, that's the only way to put them like that's the only way to put them out of their misery is to starve them. Um, yeah, that's a bit of a problem. I don't know what the solution there is. Yeah, um, so that's what my brother went through. So his right? body was so strong because he was young. He was 17 when he had his accident hit by a car um and he didn't pass away till 23 so those six years uh, was a deterioration, a deterioration. And pain so i don't even know like medically pain management so if, you, if a person just has a, a button where they can just keep administering medication to themselves right and and choose their own dose of pain medication i would have thought like as, as a workaround right at least that way they have control over it right they can control either how much pain they want or if they you know um, the workaround towards the, them wanting to take it all the way. But um, the idea of a doctor injecting someone with a poison of lethal dose, to me, I just, I, there's no reconciliation for that is any ever acceptable under any circumstances. You know, I think the U S workaround is you just, the, the physician will crush the medication and leave it beside the patient. And the patient is ultimately the one that d does the actual actus reus of, yeah. right. 
But Kevorkian tried that. Remember, Kevorkian gave them the button, and that was the way that he said, you know, I'm not liable. I just set up the machine. They pushed the button. They that's still... right. That, and that to me is, I mean, it's it's one step less removed than, than it's still bad. But if you're going to, you know, if you're going to dance with the devil, I mean, at least that way you're not turning directly. Because once you once the, the doctor or the healthcare worker touches the patient and actually is the one physically responsible, it's a different level. I think a common law, you know, uh, and under general recognized law that the, the level of causality is, is somewhat more lenient in that case, um, right? When you put this, this intervening cause in between them. But I mean, the reality is that, and I keep posting this on Twitter, you just got to look at the international community. Like what Canada is doing is not accepted. It's just not recognized. And I, I, you know, I told, I'm trying to tell doctors, like, just because you're doing it here, you're getting away with it. Um, if you're known internationally as a doctor that's doing this, you could have problems if you're traveling to certain countries that don't have, don't have such a liberal approach to this. You know what I mean? If, if, mm -hmm. a, if a king, an emperor, or, or a, a tyrant in another country hears that a doctor has, you know, um, has been involved in, you know, made in Canada against their nationals, that, you know, against foreign nationals that are in Canada, like that's, you know, they could, they could be detained in a foreign country it's a problem you know what i mean right right because what's legal here not necessarily legal anywhere else and yeah absolutely you can get in trouble going to a country where your activity here is legal but not there right um yeah now nih so national institute of health in the states dr fauci uh he was the one that ran that they did an analysis of uh minor uh mature minor maids for a review mm -hmm. and their conclusion was crystal clear Life-affirming care. Life-affirming care. You don't give end-of-life care. Um, the whole point in, in their whole analysis of the mature minors is unless it's completely, you know, this is the end for them, terminal, you only, you're only, you know, a little bit. That's not what we're proposing here in Canada. We're proposing in Canada beyond that. It's not the same as, as what we originally started with. So their assessment was life-affirming care all the way to the end. Then it's available. What do you feel about expanding it to mental illness, dementia, and those other things? Now, mature minors was taken off the table for now, right? Or did that one pass? I know mental health was taken off the table in March. Yeah, I, I think they're all on pause, but I think they're all still on the right. table. Um, and Right. Okay, so wrong words. Here. So they're still being considered, but it's been paused because it was supposed to pass in March pause right but it's no it's i think they put it off a year but i think it's still on the agenda and i don't know man it's such a dicey topic it seems but i, I don't like give put it to a referendum at least like let's get some more intel from the from the entire canadian population i don't think the i don't think this would pass remotely with 51 percent. i think maybe you'd get 15 percent of people in favor of this um so that being the case how are these 15% of people now driving an agenda of like, you know, end of life type stuff or 85 for hundred percent of the population? Oh, okay. But everyone's choosing it. It's not being forced on anyone. Well, I don't know, man, for, for some of these, for some of these patients that are not well. Um, and they're going to say they have so many checks and balances in place that don't worry about it. Trust us. It's all good. I'm like, you know, I've seen the COVID response, trust, but verify I'm trusting, but I'll verify so unless I personally see, unless I bear witness to these, you know, speak to these doctors and all these patients and the family members, I mean, I'm taking everything with a bit of a grain of salt, you know, 
when the when the biggest proponents and the biggest lobbyists of these of the of this legislation, you know, when they're when they're sponsored, they're sponsoring advertisements on Google, on my Google searches, you know, like a sponsored link, like that's that's not what do you sponsor? What are you sponsoring? Why? What's the financial reward that they have to sponsor and then make it known that this is an option? I mean, um, so that's a long rant to say. I think the the threat is still looming in a year's time, and yeah, they want to expand it. And if there's an ethical uncertainty, they're going to err on the side of saving the budget because, like I say, it's not cheap to keep um, either seniors alive or to care for patients whose mental conditions are just not treatable. They're just we've tried and nothing's working, so we're just we're done. I'm like no, no, you don't give up. That's not. That's why it's called life. You do not give up, and so. If it's you know, chat, there, there are always modalities worth trying and, you know, expand the ketamine program, expand the psychedelics if that's showing promising signs for some folks, right? Um, but allow experimental, all experimental, allow but, them because allow, at end right. of life, make it easier, exactly, like, yeah, exactly. Um, but that's not that's not the direction. I think human nature is uh, is kind of wonky once you have the permit to do this kind of thing. Um, you kind of stop dotting the I's and crossing the T's at a certain point, And you're just like, let's get on with the show, you know? Um, and and the, the mind can justify all kinds of crazy stuff. So look, for sure. Right. This guy has good organs. Okay. That he's not well. He, we've tried everything. We're going to save another life with this person's organs. Let's just do it. And then everyone's going to like in the room. Like, I don't know if that's the good. Re well, we did. We crossed our I's and dotted our T's. Right. Um, and that's where it's going. And that's where people are like, they've, these, these are all good organs. And so let's just, he's not, this person's not happy. Let's just do them a favor, do the other person on the, on the wait list a favor. And that's the kind of like, whoa, man, that's kind of my ticket out that's of Canada. Sorry, as much as I love Canada, that's my ticket out of here. I yeah, mean, that's uh, human harvesting. And your brother talked about that on Timcast because in the East, uh, New Brunswick or something like that, there's a now law in place where you have to opt out of <laughs> Right. Uh, oh, in, right. Nova Scotia, right? You're automatically Nova on Scotia the list. Nova Scotia or New Brunswick. Yeah, one of them, you're automatically on the list now. And that decision happens before death sometimes. Right. Whether or not it's a good time, he's not recovering, we're not going to get him back. Let's save the organs. Because for my brother, that decision was made by his father. It's not the same father as me, so he's my half-brother, um, to keep him alive. Um, and then when I found out from the doctors the severity of his injury, and now it's too late to be a donor, right? So he then had, I think, five and a half years of just deterioration until gone. Now, I'm not saying I wish the decision was different. I, it wasn't my decision that we were horrific for the family. Um, but I understand what you're talking about. But that this law now in New Brunswick or Nova Scotia, maybe the check and let us know, um, does make that decision for you. So as the way your brother put it was, uh, you're, you're close enough to death. So they take your organs that right. I don't like that. I think that's very scary. Um, and if it starts at one province, things have a tendency to move across. I do want to answer your original question, even though if it might've been a little rhetorical, how does the 15% get away with this? Uh, the same way you started this conversation by asking me if I care about people suffering, uh, they make it emotionally attached and they make it difficult to answer. And that's how they get through some of these uh, resistors that would have, you know, normally resistance to this. When you make it that kind of question and you frame it in that kind of way, 
you almost have to be heartless to answer it. Um, so maybe that's why a lot of people don't answer that question and they concede when that question pops up. Yeah, no, that's a good point because, right, because the way the question is framed, um, it puts people on the spot in the wrong way. And that, that happens across the board in different issues, especially, you know, with Correct. the, with the, with the vac you know, vaccines as well, right? Um, and gender for your children. Do you right. rather have a dead son or a live right. daughter? That, and the, that's how these are legit. That's, okay, that's a tough question. If that's the only alternative, man, okay, I, I hear you. Well, if you frame it that way, absolutely. Right. It sounds horrible. Right. But oftentimes it's shades of gray. And that's kind of where the conversation on Twitter and, uh, you know, in politics gets uh, in the House when they're debating these things. It's like, it's not, you know, I guess I'm really helping the cause on either side here. Right. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's tough. tough. It's tough. Would you? But that's why we went into law. Right. This is why we went into law, because we actually have an attraction to the difficult questions. Um, you can't go into law and be afraid of answering hard questions, could you? Yeah, you know, that's a tough one <laughs> because <laughs> you have to have a, a line in the sand somewhere with this stuff. Like, right. If you don't have the line, well, okay, what kind of, what kind of killing, I guess you always have that exception, but like in times of war, like who are you allowed to, who becomes a legitimate target? What is considered a wartime that these, you know, uh, certain for killings are justified. When are they not? Like, yeah, I guess these gray areas are like, but that, I feel like sometimes the debate then allows people, okay, while you guys are debating this, we're going to start killing 20,000 people a year and maybe we'll figure it out. Like, no, stop the, so I don't know how you, how you resolve these things with uh, 40 million people, get them all on the same page. Yeah. What's interesting is we have a government that encourages end of life for seniors. And then when the vaccine comes around, let's save the seniors, uh, pick a lane. Right. Like, do you really care about seniors? Because I do too. I agree with that. Do we care about seniors? Well, then let's stop giving them AIDS. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't take that away. Okay. Do we really care about seniors then? Because right. uh, you're saying all of us young people should be injected to save the seniors. Um, now, all of a sudden, they're your top priority, but yet you still have maids uh, sitting right there for them. Right. Right. And, and again, the way they're characterizing maids, it's now it's, it's not maids. You keep calling it maids. It's just it's called end of life care. It's a form of care. Uh, and so care. medical care. And so if you're depriving someone of care, I don't care what your religion, I don't care what your uh, beliefs are. If you're depriving someone of care, the CPSO is going to come after you. Um, so meaning if you don't provide an effective referral, if you don't want to get involved in the whole maid business, fine. But you have to provide an effective referral, effective mm -hmm. in good faith. So right. if you don't, but uh, like I don't, even, if you say I don't even want to get involved in that, well, now the CPSO is going to come after you. They're going to start taking away doctor's licenses who aren't uh, sipping the Kool Aid um, and providing referrals because on the basis of not providing care, that's where this is going. I don't know if there's if this, that, that's the official policy by the CPSO on this. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. trying, to, I'm trying to get you know an audience with the CPSO, but they are uh, literally locking the doors on me um, because they are apparently scared of dealing with the public. So uh, identify as a female and they might open the door for you. No, they've uh, closed it to everyone, the entire, the everyone? entire public. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, so there's no, there's no way to, uh, unless, you know, someone has the resources to start an application against the CPSO, there's no way to, um, at this point. Okay. Now, is there any way to put this genie back in the bottle? Is there any, future that you can see where we unwind this and, and put it back sort of government question. 10 times over like is there a way to or now that it's out 
you know what it is? It's the old Canadian way. The Canadian way, it's a game of inches. You take one inch at a time. That's what, the, that's what they've done on the way in. That's what you do on the way out. So it's like, it's like the, the king's marching soldiers. How do they get back the streets? One inch at a time, one step at a time. So same thing with made. Yeah, you can't pull the plug. Well, maybe you could pull the plug immediately, but that would, that would create. Unintended? Oh, yeah. Huh. <laughs> too soon, too soon. Um, you know, um, is there a way to, um, to make it more expensive, to not cover it? Um, uh, to Because, yeah, the risk of turning all, all healthcare workers into accidental murderers if they didn't. Oh, crap. You pulled the legislation? I didn't know. Um, right. So I don't know how that would work. You're right. You'd have to, pull, you'd have well, to do it slowly. I have a small solution, possibly. Uh, first, uh, the federal government should stop dictating healthcare straight to the province, and then province choice. So, just like in the states now, after the um, abortion change on the Supreme Court, it's state choice. Um, and I'd like to see Alberta put a moratorium on it. If you want to do that, head over to Ontario, maybe, but you won't be getting it here in Alberta. And then maybe other provinces might take that kind of lead. For example, I'd like to see something along those lines. Maybe tackle late-term abortion. You know, some subject where eighty percent support is on it, um, but disconnect from the federal government and have province choice on, on some of these issues. What do you think about that? Uh, I normally would have thought that would be effective, but um, you know, the problems I'm seeing in Ontario are not driven directly by the federal government. It's it's more like alliances where policymakers are indirectly funded or steered by federal sources. But even I'm saying, even at the provincial level, we have problems um, where the policymakers are not going to be aligned with removing made so fast unless the voters come out and send them a clear sign. And, you know, while politicians aren't going to want to touch it, um, in, if it's gonna, you know, if it's gonna kick them out of office, and, and nor nor should they necessarily, right? Like if they take a hard stance on made, and then that gets them ejected from office, well, they, we're back to square one. So that's the oh, that's always the problem, right? You're not effective if you're not in there, and you want to try and stay in there so you can be effective. But hold on, but Jason, your the whole point here is that uh, the the crime here, murder, is a federal it's federal jurisdiction. You can't avoid that. So, criminal code, correct. Yeah. So this is a criminal code issue. This is not a province issue necessarily with, with MAID in terms of why MAID is allowed. Well, I like where you're going with that because now you're saying we didn't vitiate the criminal code for murder. So we still have murder on the books. So are we but that's just all, that's all where MAID, That's all where MAID falls under. It's, it's under the murder. Uh, I think it's under the homicide provisions of the criminal code. Like it's, okay, killing someone's illegal except for if you, do the, if you qualify under the following... Uh, Guideline. So Maid's created an exception under the criminal code. Yeah, then is, is that's how it's legislated. So it's otherwise murder, but it's exempted under was four fifteen sub six or whatever or sub two. Like it's it's an exemption under the murder law. It's like we're killing someone's murder, yeah. intentionally killing someone's murder, except for if you're if you get you know them to sign off on healthcare forms and do this that and the other. So now what's what's the technical? Or is it just? no penalty or like, is it still murder? Just no, no penalty no, or we're not calling it murder. We're just calling it something else. No, it's not. I think I forget how they, it's like a culpable homicide is such and such unless, except if it's, you know, 
um, done in the fall. So it's a straight up exception then. Yeah, yeah exactly. it doesn't. It's not called murder anymore. It's just called not murder. It's an exemption to culpable homicide. I think that's the way they framed it. Someone can double check me on that. I think that's how it's generally done, which is why it's so weird because you're right. If you just next year, okay, conservatives come into power. We're, we're taking that exemption away. Okay, quick, everybody, make a PSA. Make sure everyone knows about this. Killing murder is no longer legal. You know, that's that's a really weird conversation, really weird. Okay, PSA. well, actually, I think I think we might still be good then. So there's no rule on the federal level, not Health Canada, not criminal code, there's no rule that says you have to provide maid service, right? Well, the, okay, this is now you're getting into the whole provincial slash uh, Right, CPSO. because at that point, maybe the province can say, well, that's a service we just don't have. We don't offer. Oh, I see. Uh, right, 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 right. Right. Because there's no rule that says you have to provide maids. But then, yeah, healthcare. but then you're getting into the, the laneway maid service providers, right? You're going to have... Well, I wouldn't mind that. I wouldn't mind Alberta saying you can't have it here, but you'd have to go to Ontario. Because that's, that's what happens in the States. For some places, if you want an abortion, you can travel. You can do a, a traveling abortion. Um, you can do traveling maids. Right. And then before, that... before Canada even had it, people were traveling to Europe to get maids done. Um, right. Right. And then that creates a different so, but such a set of social problems, which is that, you know, then the rich are going to be able to kill themselves more easily than those who can't afford yeah. to travel. Right. Um, but maybe that's, you know, I don't know, maybe that's not going to be, maybe that's more palatable than, you know, um, the way the states have done it for abortion, right? Where it's really harming, you know, folks who can't afford to travel to different states. Like, so, um I don't know. Yeah, you bring up a good point there because I'm not a fan of uh, economic class becoming a decider when it comes to anything with law. Right. Um, never been a fan of that. Right. And that's why it's, it's a complicated, uh, the complicated, uh, what do you call it? Uh, what's it the system where you, what's it called? The, the uh, Rubik's? The Rubik's or? Yeah. You know where you change the system and the whole, the whole thing spirals. I forget it. Um, but. Um, the chat will get it to us. Yeah. Anti-meters. Yeah, man, somebody came after me for, for my anti-made promotion on my Twitter handle. Like, oh, this guy supports suffering. Like, oh, my gracious, is that how you guys are framing it now? Yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm yep. a suffering supporter of suffering. Like, no, that's not how you frame anti-made. Anti-made just Just tell like, him it, it, it's your mother's sister who cleans. I don't know what you're talking about. It's my anti-made. <laughs> anti-made. <laughs> uh, no. No, that's absolutely. And they're going to frame it that way all the time. Right? Eventually, there's, there's going to be some some child or something like that that we all are empathetic for, like just horrible suffering. And they're going to put a picture to it and they're going to be saying, are you right. remember Sandy? Like whatever the name is. You want another Sandy? You know, right. Something like that will also come down the pipe. And that, that is how evil, I, I don't want to bring this up, but that's how evil minds work. They try to go after your God-fearing or loving mind. I do care about suffering. Wow, that's a way to uh, frame that question. Um, but I, I think, you know, intelligence, conversation, and sticking to your convictions still works. Um, and you can have those conversations. Now, I want to throw something out there really off topic, but we're coming to an end here. So I kind of want to throw it out there as an idea for you. Because I do don't like, I, I'm a huge advocate for uh, removing um, economic class from the legal system. We currently have set fines. That's an economic class thing, set yeah. fines. So one guy who's rich, speeding ticket, means nothing to him. Another guy could ruin his entire day, can ruin his entire week. I actually had a client when I was a paralegal who got a no insurance ticket. 
happens. Okay. No insurance tickets happen. Uh, people who are doing that can't really afford the insurance. That's kind of what got them into that situation to begin with. Mm -hmm. And then, and then the no insurance ticket comes with a set fine of $4,000. So boy, you're ensuring that that person ain't driving for quite some time now. Then there's the economic impact of that person. Can't go to work. Got to get someone to drive them. Can't do this. In fact, what actually happened without naming names, they continue to drive without insurance so they can work. Other places around this world, they don't have set fines. They have fines related to income. Right. So one day's worth of wages for speeding, five days worth of wages for no insurance. It's based on your economic input, not based on a set fine. I find that a far more fair because that rich guy will also have consequences that will hurt. A whole day's wage for him could be $50,000. Um, that would hurt. What do you think about that? Because I know some places in Europe do do that. They do fine you based on your income. And I think the world's largest fine yet is some multi-millionaire or multi-billionaire speeding. Right. Um, because after they did the math, it was a large fine. Uh, that stung him. I assure you, he won't do that again. Um, but, you know, the guy who doesn't have a lot of money, uh, a day's wage, then get back to work. Like, it's not about collecting money from people. It's about teaching a lesson and rehabilitating and maybe discouraging or, or getting people to kind of do the right thing. But my client, who really wanted to do the right thing, couldn't afford it, and then certainly couldn't afford it after the fine, lost his license, and now drives without a license and drives without insurance, which is no good for anybody on the road. What do you think about that kind of idea where they're not set fines, they're income-based, like some other places uh, around the world? Well, it's funny. Um, we kind of already have that. It's not perfect. I don't know how fines work in the insurance. Is it a, is it a statutory minimum, like non-negotiable? The Justice of the Peace has no discretion whatsoever? Well, the Justice of the Peace can do whatever they want because I actually had one client who was rich and the judge brought it down to 1500 One client who was not rich, 4000 from 5000 down to 4000 So the set fine is 5000 and then the judge can bring it down from there. Um, I was going to say that seems to be the way that the the courts, at least, you know, in, in Ontario or Canada can kind of address this issue is, is the, you know, they, they see the ideally or not ideally, but, you know, practically they see that a person is ha um, having issue paying the ticket, either they need more time or, um, you know, or, or it's just reduced to accommodate for that. Um, yeah, I think it, it makes sense. You know, uh, it's, it, it, it definitely, you know, I, I don't really see the downside, the whole point of a fixed, it, right? Well, the downside is you have to disclose your income um, for the fine to be set. That, that is a downside. And that, that could be a privacy issue for a lot of people. But your last tax return is what they do on the other countries. So they don't even ask you. They just go in your last tax return and do the math. I see. And then that becomes public. Yeah, that's fair. That's an interesting dilemma because, right, then you're in court. Yeah, because your fine is like $12,000 and people do the math like, okay, well, we know how much money you have now. Like there is that issue, I get right. it. And, and that could be resolved by, well, you don't disclose the amount. The amount is private in the system. The ticket is assigned a number. You don't actually see the amount, you know, something along those lines. But I, I personally witnessed rich people have no problem. They paid my bill. They pay that bill and away they go. Irresponsible driver. It's not rich people losing their license, can't work, having real big impacts. No, I'm right. It just makes it makes 
things even worse. It just, you're, you're, you know, you're not really solving the problem. You're going to create a whole, you know, host of other social, you know, problems. And then out. you don't pay the bill. You lose your license, drive without license, you get caught with that criminal offenses now. And before you know it, what started off as just an economic issue turns into criminal on you simply because you couldn't afford things. I, gee, I wasn't a fan of that when I watched that happen. In BC, you have to get insurance for the uninsured. Yeah, I think you have to do that here. I think you still have coverage. Yes, uh, number five. My wife is an insurance. There's an option that you buy that if the other guy's not insured, you're covered. Like yeah. option five or something like that. Meanwhile, yeah. I just remember in law school, BC was the one that came out the hardest with the uninsured driver. Uh, that was the Supreme Court of Canada where I think the case was the person didn't get noticed that their insurance was expiring. And so they just forgot or they didn't have it, you know. And so there was like a statutory minimum of something ridiculous. I think even jail time. Um, and so that was the case where, uh, I forget what the, what the, whether the, it violated, whether that law was so strict and so it, it failed to provide any defense whatsoever. It basically was ruled unconstitutional because it was so, came down so hard on the person. But I think it basically stripped them of a defense was one issue. The defense when liberty is involved? Yeah, I can see why it's unconstitutional. Right. The defense, and I don't even know if the, if the, if the quantum also exceeded, like the, I think there might be a certain quantum that's, but, but yes, um, I think the main issue is the defense. Point being is, um, yeah, I think the, uh, you know, these, these systemic issues can be better uh, managed. I think now everyone's kind of has, has their eyes on these issues. So, right, with part of the global reset, we're, look, we're reevaluating how everything. Oh, I hate that done. word. <laughs> you know what? I like it. I like it provided as part of the global reset, everyone has to retake their oath of allegiance or whatever it is, whatever oath they took as a, you know, in, in, in their country of um, you know, that they're living in, because I think. Uh, a lot and, of people... and, and, and should we now have some sort of test for voting? Uh, test for voting. I don't know. That's dicey. Do you know enough to vote? A lot of people are asking for that. Is there? Yeah. That's a, that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah, no, well, man. there's digital, digital voting, digital ID, digital currency, like a bunch of stuff coming down. You got to vote with your heart. That's all you need. So, no, there should be no test. Just vote with your heart. No problem. Stop picking colors. Vote to the candidate. Learn your candidate. Understand who you're voting for. That might help when, when you're, you know, get representation. Right. Now, are there any other problems? I'm about to take you to the questions. There's some questions in the question folder here. Well, uh, but questions. there are. Any other one? Yeah, for sure. Are there any other problems in the legal system like identified here with the uh, uh, income-based fines instead of set fines? Anything else that you might want to point to that might need some fixing that you've identified? Um, no, I think I raised it already, which was my um, my frustration at uh, the inability to um, for, for litigants who need it and want it to have in-person hearings. I've, I've raised this with so many different institutions and I'm falling, it's falling on deaf ears. I raised it with the uh, Ontario, with the uh, Canadian Bar Association. I've raised it with... Um, uh, different organizations, TDSB. Um, a lot of folks are trying to get away with putting things on Zoom, and it's uh, it's like the um, it, it's it can be prejudicial. So I'm I'm going to say use Zoom in the legal profession. Zoom use Zoom carefully. Proceed with caution. And if somebody's demanding an in person, um, respect it because that's we're humans, and humans by default deserve to be treated with dignity, and that involves in person. Um, meetings if if it's necessary and if it's be, if it's being sought there's a certain connection you can't get unless it's in person yep and it's even with your litigator with the other litigator with the other party and the judge even the court clerks all of that kind of matters i think H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H H
Okay, you may have lost him for a second. Hillier, uh, yeah. Randy. His his moved to uh, to Zoom when it was supposed and to be in like person, that. and he did not was not happy, rightfully so. You know. So, but I was talking to him yesterday. He didn't complain about that. He had other things. Okay. About, not, not <laughs> I'm sure it's on his list. I'm sure it's like item 30 or 40 down the list of uh, grievances he has. But that's, yeah, you got some yeah. good, uh, man, you got some good talent. Not just me. You have other, uh, you know, heavy hitters. Oh, for sure. You're the heaviest, <laughs> for sure. But, you know, Maxim Bernier, and I have some others on here, but you're the heaviest so far. You Your brother. Paul. What's his name? Uh, he got, um, what are the big dogs? Paul Weston, Weston something, the guy from Nova Scotia. No, no, no. The the, the doctor uh, who's coming on your show in the oh Peter McCullough. Peter, yeah, thank you. Yep, Getting yeah, up. he's coming up. Yeah, Chris Barber at the end of this week. Um, even uh, Greg uh, Hill, who's a pilot, uh, he's done some really good work around this stuff. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, God bless. I've been getting lots of yeses, so uh, I'll keep doing that. I've it's also tough. got some no's. You just don't see them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the list of no's a little bit longer. You just you don't see them because they they don't say yes. Um, and I'm also working on a, a little hint for my, my crowd. Uh, one of the uh, uh, previous prime ministers uh, will be speaking to possibly to one of the previous prime ministers at one point. We'll tell you which one. Okay. But I can only imagine. She's, but oh, she's geez. really nice. Okay. <laughs> okay. I was sure it was. Uh, uh, we only have one previous prime minister prime of that gender. Oh, okay. Peckford, I was thinking of. Okay. Never mind. I'm, I'm about to. Wait. No, Peckford's a premier. Uh, yes. So, you know, not quite the PM. <laughs> Maybe we'll get there. <laughs> Good stuff. But Peckford is, is, is on the list. He, he's just very busy right now. Well, hopefully, uh, so the only... hopefully in the future, you'll have a former Prime Minister uh, Trudeau on your show. Okay. Oh, so okay. <laughs> I, I, am, I am doing the uh, POEC list, all witnesses. That's what I'm working my way through this year. This is why Chris Barber and Tom Marazzo and Jim McKenzie and other people like that have been on because uh, they were all witnesses um, during the POEC. Yeah. He was number 76. So That'd be cool. I was just joking. I was just joking earlier today with one gentleman. I won't name him, uh, but he's also one of the POEC witnesses. I was just joking with him today, and I said, "Hey," he goes, "Do you do you want me to get anybody else?" I'm like, "Well, you can get me anybody on the POEC list, but can you get JT?" And he laughs, la la la. I'm like, "Good luck with that one." I said, "Well, I now know how to get on the visitor list for the criminal um, correctional centers here in Alberta because I'm dealing with the Coots men, so I get to go see them." So, uh, yeah, all I have to do is call ahead and get my name on the list when he's in there. And the buddy laughed because maybe uh, one day. That's awesome. But that might be how I, I interview him uh, in, in the remand center in Alberta. Because I believe he should have 533 days of remand to think about what, what uh, he's done. Off topic there. But, yeah, thank you very much. I have been getting a lot of good guests and a lot of people saying yes. And I was very happy that you did because uh, I really wanted to talk to you uh you did the stuff during windsor with your brother um you're an advocate and i also saw the anti-maids thing and that didn't scare me away that attracted me um so nice. i do really appreciate yeah i do okay. really appreciate that that you put that out there and and that's your position uh there's only two questions here and okay, i i'm going to try and make sure that you're not telling them this is legal advice so this is not legal advice this is maybe just uh, an opinion at best um uh, for the situation so family member says family member ununionized was fired after 30 years of employment for not attesting to vaccine status. Is there a specific law within the emergency act or Canada labor code that requires this? I think it was quarantine act. Maybe that, that you might be looking at for this family member unionized was fired. Okay. That's your, your keyword right there is unionized was fired after 30 years of employment for not getting it. Right. Testing. Right. Not testing. Well. So I've got, I was with, um, 
this gentleman, Andre Givog, who's actually, who's taken, uh, who was it? Fisheries, I think he's with. Um, he's, he's trying to, he went to the federal court on this um, for not attesting. Uh, is there a specific law within the Emergency Act or Canada Labor Code that requires? I don't testing? think Emergency Act would apply. No, not Emergency Act. Canada Labor Code. Um, Quarantine, maybe. Yeah, but the point is you're, you've got to take it with your union. And the, the, the issue with the union is that, um, <clears throat> you know, they, um, they, they sometimes are, they'll, he'll, they'll hear, but they won't really go to bat for you on, on, on this type of thing. And then so your claim is made more difficult because you have to then fight the union's decision not to take the case on for you. So you're dealing with a duty of fair representation issue. Um, right. So but for not attesting to, to vaccines, that's, the key is to really dig into that vaccine policy of whatever uh, employer this was. It doesn't say if it was a probably federally, federally regulated one, but you've got to dig into that vaccine policy. Because where, um, where there have been some success is showing that the employer didn't even follow their own policy properly. And so if you can show that, and, sh then, and then the union's just like, nah, we're not into it. Then you can, okay, well, then you can, um, it's next level. But main thing is um, limitations period, just being mindful of that, like get legal advice. Because all these, all these things are pretty much the windows closing two years, generally speaking, on these mm -hmm. things. So that was well, that's that was, Ontario that has statutes. Ontario, right? I mean, Sorry. So depending on where, but um, not every province has that. Right. Good point. Um, but either, either way, you want to get on sooner, generally speaking, rather than later. Although, yeah, as more data comes out, you know, with uh, vaccine safety and all the like, it's, it's you know, I'm I'm finding there could be there is a some advantage in having waited a bit now to bring claims. Um, mm. Because now it's like, oh, you really supported this? Like, you're, you're okay with this, 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 and this? And it's like, okay, not really. And they're more likely to, you know, um, be reasonable in maybe settling before trial. Um, so that's that. <clears throat> yeah, and there's always the option in the future that if this becomes an issue that should be reopened. Like, for example, in New York State, they put a moratorium on that said, okay, we have a statute of limitations on sexual assault. But we're going to actually drop that for a year, go ahead and report like crazy for a year and bring them all forward. They did that in New York State and California, I believe. So in the future, Canada could say, well, you know, all these things that expired, statute limited, Ontario, all that kind of stuff. You could reopen these now because under this particular uh, decision, we figured out, you know, we acted too hastily. The real information came out three years later. Now you guys can go ahead and address it. Uh, that's a pie in the sky. Uh, gosh, you know, Canada doesn't have a history of doing stuff like that. Um, but that door is is there. That is something that could happen in the future if new information came out past the statute of limitation date. There could be a decision that opens up that door. It'd be yeah. tough, but it's possible. Yeah, I think if you know, there there'll be some legal successes. But I think the big success the big success coming down the pipes is going to be political. I think um, people are going to. I'm hoping people are going to want to see some you know, rectification, compensation, some dealing, dealing with the reality of the mistakes that were done. Um, just so, yeah, whether like, it was great to see the, the army, the CAF, you know, that, uh, the, the, what do you call it? The tribunal there that come out with the section seven analysis. That was right. What's the result of that. I was waiting um, for that. That, that was, uh, the, the grievance, uh, member ruled against the army. They said it was an unjustifiable violation of section seven. Ruled against the army. So that, Okay, good. So they got it. 
against the chief. Yeah, there's no, I don't think there was a remedy. I think it was just a declaration that, you know, and an, a suggestion that the chief of defense may want to apologize for having violated thousands of people's, you know, chart section seven. But well, I think the remedy is they're going to change some of the statuses and why they were kicked out and that will get them back into veteran um, payments and stuff like that. I would hope it so. Depends yeah. How you're, yeah, yeah. I was yep. speaking to a gentleman on this topic, um, Alex Cabana. So he's a veteran who was part of that lawsuit because he was affected by it. Um, and yeah, I'm glad to hear that uh, they won. Yeah. And it, I, know, I, I know it wasn't a monetary mm -hmm. thing. It was it was to change the status of a lot of people right. who were discharged under the wrong status. And if you're under the wrong status, you don't get any uh, right. payments <clears throat> or anything like that. And the, in the U.S., the Congress couldn't, uh, the Senate couldn't pass the law on that. They got they got shot down 46 to 53 on it, right? They wanted to, the, they wanted to pass a law that would compensate. Voted. Yeah. So it's the Democrats voted against it then. All the Democrats and then three Republicans switched over. Crazy. Wow. That's insane. Right. I, okay. <laughs> right. But, so yeah, I'm so sure. glad. So this, you're right. The section seven, I don't know if that'll play out. That means that they're in all these, all these uh, vets or, you know, now vets that were kicked out of the army. Maybe they'll now have to be entitled. They'll, they'll be entitled to things that they weren't. I don't know. Right. Entitlements. Yeah. 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 Cause some of them lost it based off of that decision. And yep. that was wrong. They went and go serve for us and then they make a decision to keep themselves healthy and then they're being punished. Well, and that's it. And people in the army, you know, you're not in the army for the money, you know, they're not in it for the money. They're in it for the honor and the, and the pro, you know what I mean? And so to have that section seven ruling in their favor, that's like, to me, that's, I mean, it's obviously money's important for, you know, mm. but that's really, that's your honor. You got it all back with that. I feel so anyhow. That could be a good sign of things to come then. That's right. So that exactly. came out of the Supreme court, right? That was no, that was, again, that was the grievance. I forget what they call it. It's like an internal review of uh, within the army. So okay. Nina it wasn't Freda, in our court. Was her name? It was a tribunal member, like some bold friggin', you know. It, it, I'm gonna have to reach out to Alex and see if he's happy about that one. And Alex, sometimes he's in my chat. Oh yeah, so ask him. I'd be very interested. I'd be very interested. Yeah, yeah. I have one more question here, and then we can maybe wrap up and let you get back to your billable hours. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I, I use that system too. You want to put billable in there. Uh, lawyers are very expensive, of course, um, and not always. By the way, that's a bit of a um, stereotype. Sometimes they're very affordable. Uh, there are, are there teams of volunteer lawyers who can take on these cases pro bono? Ooh. Yeah. I mean, where it depends where you are. Um, this is a yeah. dicey topic because yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, they're grifting. The lawyers are grifting. If I hear that again, man. Um, Jim Machindo, where are you? Padge, can you find out where this person, which province is this person in? Because if they're in Ontario, they have paralegals as an option. If uh, they're not in Ontario, they don't. Yeah, if, if you can, like people, I mean, there's legal aid for if persons really can't qualify for any help. Um, but no, I, my, my recommendation is if you can't afford it, you're going to have to do a crash course and, and get up to speed and start self-representing. It can be done. It's work. Mm -hmm. But um, otherwise, that's just the cost of doing business. I mean, there's lawyers that'll go, you know, if you're lucky, you could find one that easy they're starting willing to take it on or whatever um in ontario there's the law society refer a service that can connect um potential clients with um you know what i mean with uh with lawyers that are able to help um what else there's um not much you have advocacy groups the advocate yeah, right the law societies now have certified these new entities called uh, civil societies um very ironically titled because um, I do feel like they're the only organizations holding up civil society these days. Um, 
they are basically nonprofits that are able to act as lawyers. So JCC, um, it's called, there's one called, it's funded by the JCC. If it's called the advocates, uh, uh, I forget what it's called. If you go to the law society, um, civil society's website, they have a list of all of them. Um, okay. So JCCF funds one of them. And then the democracy fund is another one. Um, those are my two go-tos for almost quasi free legal um, assistance. Um, meaning they, they need stories to carry them. You know what I mean? So the better the story, the easy, you know, then they could sell it and they could market themselves as, and to raise money publicly um, for, for their work because they rely on public, on the public purse. So um, that's my recommendation. Either yeah, you learn, it's a tough one. Yeah, learn, learn the, tr learn the ropes, and you can do it, um, or reach out to the civil societies. Yeah, and and that's kind of my story. So I went to Trios College um, in, in Brampton, uh, thirty eight, and then I had my paralegal license. I wrote the exam on my fourth birthday. Uh, my main motivator behind that wasn't to change professions. It was because I had a successful career in, in software and I had lots of people come out of the woodwork to cause headaches for me for no reason other than opportunist uh, advantage for them. And uh, I found my legal bills were getting high. So this was a way to teach myself. Since then, I've been able to handle it. I basically mostly do self-represented stuff, but I have helped other people uh, as a as an actual practicing paralegal, but my motivator was to learn this at this stage in my life, so that going forward I, I have enough to take care of myself. Not for everybody, because I required a, a good year and a half of dedication to get her done. Um, but you know, to those that that may have a little desire to get in it, paralegal is attainable. You can do that in under two years if you really want to, and then you can make a career out of it. Um, but do you think maybe there's room for some sort of training for self-represented to maybe help them push a button, spit out a form here, ask some questions. There's, like there is now, so now, much you, now we're going to get into the AI conversation because this is where AI law is headed. This is exactly right. where AI, AI is AI good. I, you know, with a bit of grain of salt, I, I do like the whole uh, the Chat GPT uh, with the, what, it, what it what it can do. But you have to be very careful. Now you've heard the stories already. So Chat GPT have... three, where some lawyer would put something in pass it to the judge and they're not case law those are not even real it's just making stuff up <laughs> you've got to verify but if generally it, it knows how to put something together pretty quickly um well chat gpt 4 got much better three it just made things up four uh, it actually uses real case law uh, that's good real case law i've tested that because that was one of my first things i did with the chat gpt4 i'm like hey look can you write me a motion to dismiss based on these grounds and there, there's so many free, I don't mean to, um, you know, write myself out of some clients here, but there, there are so many free, and I don't even, somebody's got to put, go, go and scrounge the thing, but, um, or free or low cost, but, and educational platforms, like there's so many people doing this. I just don't know who's centralizing all this information. It'd be good to know. I know Eva mm -hmm. Chap, uh, what's her name? Chipowich. Eva Chipowich. She, like she's putting together, I think some platform similar to that form Canadians. I think that's more general, um, but, uh, but yeah, there, the, the, and I know someone actually in the GTA who had a free precedent and a free, almost like a um, handholding service. I forget the name of it. You got to do a lot of digging and you'll find stuff. Um, it's just, it's just, like I say, it's, you know, it's a, a second job for, um, it's a second full-time job. So, well, the, the first 40 years of my life was software developer, backend cloud infrastructure, AI, all of that. Now I have law. And I also have a desire to help people get access to law. 
And this could be one of those mechanisms. Now, I'm very terrified that AI is going to be too relied upon to make decisions uh, because I still believe the court should have justice and you should be able to case by case argue. Um, but for simple things to get you started, at least for self-represented, I think there's there's an opportunity there to assist people. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's just the incentive. What's the what's like everyone's profit, right? Like, so what's the incentive? Who's going to pay for it? Who's going to fund it? Like, what's the profit? What's the, you know, that's the challenge. And so when the federal and provincial governments are taxing everyone to death, it's hard to raise money and to divert money to these cool, you know, tactical concepts. Yeah, you have to learn how to monetize uh, in different ways. Um, for example, Uber, not many people know this, but Uber is not a, a um, car hailing service. They're not. Uh, they're just in a phase right now of being that. They are an autonomous driver service. They do plan to get rid of all drivers. They've been using drivers to be guinea pigs to teach them how to GPS and drive cars. Uh, this whole phase of uh, Uber has been to teach the Uber AI how to drive cars. <laughs> so, and you have Where'd to you do get, that. Where'd you get this from? It's common knowledge in the tech world. They're, they're buying 10,000 Mercedes AIs. Yeah, no, it's true. They are doing a big push towards <laughs> autonomous. So it's hard to argue. Yeah, yeah. That. And this is where they got the data from. Uh, Tesla, same thing. Uh, Tesla made self-driving very inexpensive and put it everywhere for the purpose of building up the database in order to have the best performing car. Dang. Um, and eventually, Teslas are going to be rentable. You won't own them. They're just going to be as you need to drive, then they show up. And that's going Man. to be where they're headed with that. It's common knowledge in the tech world, not maybe not in the legal world. Um, but th that's an example of how you will do a service and you don't realize that they're actually using you to develop the next version of that service, which is completely autonomous. Yep. The wow. drivers don't even know that. They're participating in their own unemployment. Wow. <laughs> it's true. Well, <laughs> that's what it is. It is what it is. Welcome to that world. We got other <laughs> problems than Uber drivers, autonomous. Exactly. We got globalists. We've got vaccine. We've got who knows what else is coming down the pipe. We got big ones. Yeah, um, a, tr a trial for people that have been in jail for five hundred fifty days. So let's get on with it. Get on with <sighs> yeah. So right? you know a little bit about the coups. I'm not going to drill you on it because it's some stuff behind the scenes I've chatted with you about. But maybe you know enough to make a comment on it at this point. Uh, Other than get a, get a trial, man. Mandatory trials within ninety days. That's my uh, put that on a t-shirt. We, we uh, cracked the uh, innocent until proven guilty thing. So we figured it out. Um, there's a piece of the sentence that comes before that line that people forget about. Um, the government is innocent until proven guilty. That's the system we have right now. Do you yeah. understand what I mean there? Yeah, that's, a good, that's an interesting way to put it. So when that. they file charges, the assumption is they're not lying. Uh, from that point on, the the work, the hard work is to challenge that allegation and see if it will hold up. So yep. innocent until proven guilty on the government. Um, and that's why we have to defend ourselves. His majesty. It's his majesty. He would, his majesty is perfect. We're still a model. So. You know, we're still the common part of the Commonwealth. Can't handle his children and doesn't know how to get that thing all worked out. But yeah, <laughs> we pledge allegiance to the king. Um, yep. But thank you very much, Daniel. This has been an awesome one. I don't know if the chat loved it because I'm not usually this legally, uh, but I really enjoyed it uh, because I love to have these conversations. Yeah. And here good. we go. Important Great stream, Jason. Important, awkward conversations to have. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you think in the future, like six months or so, I might take you come come back? We'll see where Maids is at at that time. See if yeah. Yeah. Sure there'll be more. Def definitely be more to report on. I'm sure. 
No, I love how you say report on. So you want to bring it back to the people. That's awesome. <laughs> exactly. And have you, you don't have a podcast, do you? I don't, man. I'm just on Twitter. And if uh, people want to reach out, I don't, I don't really solicit clients. On, uh, like people reach out to me naturally, organically on Twitter if, if they want. I'll, I'll send people more information if they need. Um, just, yeah, follow me on Twitter and you can DM me there and I'll send you info about how I work and all the details. So well, that's it. That's all. Much. Yeah, and we only said Viva like four times. So this That's wasn't right. an interview right. about Viva. People don't even know that I'm Viva's bro. Viva Fry's yeah. bro. Grifting bro. And, and now we know you're the older brother. So he's number <laughs> That's five. Right. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Always no, a pleasure. Thank you very much, Daniel. Yep. Yeah, you take care and we'll talk offline another time. You have, have a good, good one. Yep. Okay? Ciao. Bye. Thanks. Bye.